This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Indianapolis, Indiana NFL Combine 2020. Action Sports Jacks on the road once again here on ESPN 690, or at least some of us are. Another guy has to train and get ready for a big fight uh, coming up next week. That's what we don't do. He's already trained here before. And that is, of course, Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Jack studios. Uh, told a lot of combine stories yesterday. We have a question out there today. What would you ask a draft prospect if you had a chance to interview him in the room? Maybe an outside-of-football kind of question that would make sense, unlike the ones Austin Lane told us about yesterday yeah. that don't seem to make a lot of sense. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Just uh, another day, another dollar. How are things in Indianapolis? Yeah, by the way, that's like a quarter for you, not a dollar. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult, but I'm going to get reality. back to you on that, and uh, I'm going to take it in. I'm going to analyze what you just said to me, and I'll get back to you. It's just reality, man. Okay. Uh, hey, we're having a great day here. Uh, it's it's a rainy day, cool day, of course, uh, much more like you'd expect in, in the Midwest uh, here in February, but having a good day. We talked to Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, a lot of different Jags topics to get to. I did just have... Some of the great shrimp cocktail, you know, from uh, St. Elmo's Steakhouse. Now, it's not really the steakhouse. We just went to lunch at a burger place that's owned by the same folks. And so we had a great burger, but we also got the shrimp cocktail because it's owned by the same folks. And it's legendary, right, at St. Elmo's in uh, Indianapolis. And it is good. And by the way, my voice should sound good. My sinuses are clear, sure, and I'm ready to rock and roll, so I'm doing well. All right, listen, when you say shrimp cocktail, and you're not the first person to ever say that they have a really great shrimp cocktail. I get it. I've never had it there, but my question to you is what makes it so special? Because I feel like shrimp cocktails are shrimp cocktails. Like, yeah, you can have bad shrimp cocktails, but can you really have an above and beyond just fantastic one? Is it the quality of shrimp? Or is it the cocktail sauce that really puts it over? It does. I don't even taste the shrimp. It's all about the cocktail sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Just marinating in cocktail sauce? Yeah, okay. I don't even know if it was shrimp. <laughs> okay. But it definitely is all about the cocktail sauce. Okay. So, so anyway, things did get a little spicy here for the Jacksonville Jaguars. How do you like that transition? I like that uh, a lot. A couple of things. We're, here's where we have a bunch of different topics when it comes to the Jags. Uh, we, we talked, uh, and thanks to the Jaguars, for allowing uh, us to grab Marone and Caldwell off to the side as well, but uh, they spent 10 or 15 minutes on the podium. And a little more broad subjects, but then you kind of dial in a little bit closer to what everybody's talking about in Jacksonville off to the side. So we have a lot of reaction today. But I, uh, we're going to break it down, and really I've got a couple of days and really a week if we want to break it down, some of it. But we're going to highlight some of the big things today. And, I, and I'm, I'm going with this, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but uh, here's what I think we're doing. We're going to talk Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles. The thoughts on those guys two months after they said it would be an open competition, where does it stand right now, even though it's been pretty much of a quiet period for players and coaches getting together? Also, Yannick Ngakwe, where is that? And the Jaguars have made a conscientious decision. Not easy to say uh, fast. But uh, they have said, we're not doing this in the public eye. You know, it was really interesting to me because that was noticeable from Dave Caldwell. We, we love the guy, but we are not negotiating this thing through the public, through the media, through the fans, all of that. They're going to keep it tight until they have something to share on this uh, topic. And you know what's interesting is we were told the same thing at the Super Bowl from Maurice Jones-Drew. That's what he advised Yannick Ngakwe to do. So... 
by doing that, I think they avoid this thing getting super muddy, at least publicly, where they are trying to, we know, repair that relationship that certainly seemed fractured over the last six or seven months. Found that interesting. But their love for Yannick Ngakwe really was professed today as well. What does that mean? Can they get to the number? Can they get a deal done? Will they franchise tag? All those questions to follow. And then one other thing. Austin, if I ask you, or or if you get asked, let's just say this, if you get asked in Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. take away the quarterback spot and take away the the, the business side. But year after year, week after week, off-season, in-season, if there's a topic of conversation about a position on the football team, where does that usually go, excluding quarterback? Oh, man. What position? Yeah. What position do people ask you about? People say, they got to fix this. they got to fix this. They're terrible here. Yeah. they got to fix it. Um, I would probably say, I mean, after this past season, Brent, I would say defensive line, just because it, from from set aside from Josh Allen and obviously Anik Ngakwe, let's be honest, man, their abilities in the run game were very porous. So I would say I'd probably get asked more of what's going to happen with the defensive line. Well, that's interesting. Well, you might because you're a defensive line by trade it's as a good well. Point. Yeah. Uh, so you might get that, and that's fair enough. I'm glad you answered it sincerely. You just didn't you didn't hit the home run answer. I was looking. Sorry, man. I'm just being honest. I, I'm just going by what I talk about at the YMCA every single day and other things. That's, so. Hey, that's fair. Baby. Yeah. I don't have the true pulse. The one I get all the time, and I want—I think people talk about it all the time. We get calls on this, and it, it's not just last year. Mm-hmm. This one's year after year, and that is the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And, and the offensive line is always this eyesore. The offense, remember Andrew Norwell, and oh, he can't do anything, and Cam Robinson. They're going to have to draft the left tackle. And Well, I've told you this before on the show. They don't feel like the fans feel about their offensive line. They have much more confidence in their offensive line than the fans have in the offensive line. And I always found that interesting, and, and more recently, especially uh, as you head into a draft where you have two picks in the top 20, and that's where you can get big guys and offensive linemen. Well, today they almost doubled down on, uh, doubled down on it mm-hmm. because Marone professed how he felt about that offensive line, and it was good. And I even phrased the question. You'll hear it. I say to Dave Caldwell, I say, hey, there's a huge disconnect here. The fans don't like your offensive line. In fact, nobody seems to. But you guys seem to really like it. And so we'll get his response to that. Uh, so those are the big three. I thought, obviously, Foles meant you. Jan's situation and uh, the offensive line. Because I think it's one where the fans are like, you guys don't know what the heck you're doing. And meanwhile, in the build, they're like, we kind of like what we got. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you can sit there and say, hey, if you get rid of A.J. Boye, there's a hole uh, at corner and inside the building they'd say there's a hole at the corner spot we got to find out who that's going who's going to fill it and the fans would be like there's a hole at the corner spot and they got to find out who fills it so they're on the same page i'm just telling you the offensive line they are not on the same page fans and inside uh, sure. and so much so i think it points to what they may or may not do in the first round of the nfl draft this is what i'm really getting at you know what are they going to do over the next 2 months to help make their football team better. They have two picks in the top 20. And I'm telling you, after today, I'd be stunned if they picked the, an offensive lineman mm-hmm. with any of those first-round picks, Austin. Well, once again, though, I mean, is some of this is this gamesmanship? Or do you actually take them at the word there? Because you're at the NFL Combine. This is like really the first chance where it's kind of like everyone on the same roof, seeing all the prospects and everything. Jaguars have two first-round picks. How much of this to you is a little just smokescreen to try to maybe influence some decisions that happen in the draft? 
I don't think it's a smoke screen, and here's why. And I've said it before on the show. They like their offensive line. This is not new. This is not new information for me. This is not something that they have been griping about for the last however many months. Now, do they want better play? Could they have better play? Do they need more out of Cam Robinson? Do they hope he's healthier? All those other things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But they have liked their offensive line. They do like their offensive line. And they believe their offensive line has performed better than people outside the building thinks it has performed. That's reality. And I think it's an interesting disconnect. Uh, listen, nobody around the NFL, and I've said this on the show before, nobody around the NFL loves their offensive line. Uh, outside of maybe the Indianapolis Colts here in the sure. Midwest, and also the Dallas Cowboys over the years who have put together a really nice offensive line, nobody seems to love their offensive line. Uh, you know, maybe Baltimore does now too. Mm-hmm. But you get my point, right? I mean, it, it's hard to find five players that are really good, that are 300-plus pounds, that can move and play the position the way you need to play it. And all teams struggle with that. The Jaguars have really struggled with that and I just feel like it's interesting to to hear people who are making the decisions in the building say you know what we kind of feel like we're all set meanwhile everybody else is like oh gosh here we go again like I think if there is not offensive line movement after the April draft or going into the season next year people are going to be like the same reaction they had to why is Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone still in Jacksonville they'll be mm-hmm. like what do you mean we're not changing anything and well, they'll say what? They'll, they'll give you the quote that you give and Wayne Weaver once gave, and what's the definition of insanity? Yeah. It's doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a fascinating conversation to me. So we'll have a little bit of it, and, I'll, and you'll hear from those guys on why they believe the offensive line uh, is, is better than most people think. Listen, and, and I'm just going to say this. With Cam Robinson, was he banged up last year a little bit and um, still trying to work his way back into feeling 100%? Possibly. Obviously, the coaches, the staff know a lot better than I do. All I know last year is that if it was fourth and one, I had zero confidence in the Jacksonville Jaguars getting a fourth and one if they ran the ball. Okay? And if you break that down team by team in the NFL and you can say that, it means, guess what? They're probably not a good offensive line, right? Like, if the 49ers had a fourth and one, oh, all day they're making that. If the Ravens had it, if the Tennessee Titans had a fourth and one, nine times out of ten, Derrick Henry's going to lower his shoulder, that offensive line's going to get the push, and they'll convert the first down. So whether it's a technique issue, whether it's a discipline issue, or whether it's an identity-slash-attitude issue, to me there was something wrong last year with the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line. Now – if you're, you know, if you're Doug Marone, who's a former offensive line coach himself, who's used to using that position, well, then you have to look at yourself and say, do we, if we do indeed have the talent like you think we do, then how do we coach these guys differently? How do we get these guys ready to have the identity, to get off the ball, to get that push, and to help the running game out? And I guess time will tell. And all that that you just said, by the way, with a running back who performed pretty well last year. So um, I, I hear you. It has not been backed up, and I, I'm just – we listen to the fans. We hear the fans all the time, and I point blank asked Dave Caldwell about it, so we'll hear from him on that. It was kind of a funny moment for a, for a second there or two, um, but it's, it's almost reality when you have that disconnect. Uh, and, and listen, I can agree with every move the, the organization makes, but this organization has certainly made some questionable ones, um, and there's definitely a disconnect on the offensive line front. But what about the quarterback part of it? Let's get right into it. Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles. Will there be a deadline? Hey, Josh Dobbs too, Brent. Don't get it twisted now, man. Don't get it. You're right. You know what? And Josh Dobbs was brought up today. They like Josh Dobbs. Yeah. And they traded a fifth-round pick for him. So what Josh Dobbs does, I'll give you what I feel like he is for the Jaguars on the other side of this. But we do know it's all about Minshew and Foles. Mm-hmm. And what are the Jags saying about it? 
When will they make a decision? How hard will that decision be? And how open of a competition is this really for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2020? We're live at the NFL Combine, Indianapolis, Indiana. Action Sports Jacks on the road once again on ESPN 690. Jump in the conversation, 904-362-9901 or star star 690. Hey, welcome back to Indianapolis, everybody. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, the NFL Combine, and it is underway, and it's a long week. It's not just today. Tomorrow we'll be here those couple of days. Uh, but uh, the actual festivities, if you will, the drills, will be in prime time for the first time. That starts on Thursday night, so that's when the bench press and the 40 and everything inside of Lucas Oil Stadium uh, will take place. Uh, it, some of that will take place right here. We're in the convention center, which is right across the street from Lucas Oil Stadium. But uh, that's kind of what is happening. Interviews, medicals, everything Austin explained yesterday and has explained before about the NFL Combine that he took part in back in 2010. Well, it's underway. And uh, today uh, is what I like to call podium day because that's when all the GMs and head coaches and some of the players uh, also took to the podium, answered questions. From a player perspective, as we bring in Action Sports Jack's Austin Lane back in Jacksonville, it's not that different than the Senior Bowl. You know, we were in Mobile, Alabama, and we, like we heard from Van Jefferson, a lot of the similar lines of questioning for Van Jefferson, the Florida Gators wide receiver, than when we were at the Senior Bowl as well, Austin. So I don't really think a whole lot has changed for them. We know that they're about to go through a different part of the interview process, mm-hmm. and they spent the last few weeks probably prepping for, okay, how do I run my 40 a little faster? How do I do the cone drill? How can I uh, the bench press? Whatever that might be, getting ready to perform well here if they are going to perform. But from a grand scheme standpoint, I'm not really sure much changes from the senior bowl to the combine for a player that is about to enter the draft. No, I mean, for obviously from, I guess, the, the media perspective, um, I would say it's about the same. To be fair, when I was at the Combine, I didn't have my own podium, so uh, I'm not really sure what that was all about. You were a table guy. I was definitely a table guy, and maybe <laughs> like one guy from the Milwaukee General Sentinel came up to me, and that was about it. So um, it was pretty low-key for my Combine experience in terms of the media. But as far as just like, you know, the, the, the scouts and all those interviews, see, to me, I was in a unique circumstance where at the Senior Bowl, I got in late. So I essentially missed the interview time, right? Because I ended up getting to the Senior Bowl in Mobile. I think I got there on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I literally had like two days of practice, didn't have any kind of interviews, and then I was playing. So like, the combine for me was kind of the crash course and for all the interviews and for teams to try to get a feel for me just because number one, I was a small school guy and number two, obviously I didn't do this stuff at the senior bowl. Yeah, that makes sense. And and now they, listen, we talked about it. How will they perform? I think it's important, but I don't know if it's like ultimately that important. I think the interviews and that game tape are the most important things about uh, what they have done and what they are doing this week. Uh, the medicals you can throw in there as well. I think these drills I would put fourth or fifth on the list of importance mm-hmm. in this whole process for a draft prospect. Although DK Metcalf, I mean, that, doesn't that show it a little bit though? DK Metcalf last year stole the show here, right? He was a beast. I mean, he looked like the Terminator. And that didn't do anything for him. He actually still slipped out of the first round. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes a very good player in his rookie season. So that, to me, almost proves that how much do the drills and performing and being a star at these drills really matter? See, for the most part, Brent, they don't. But at the same time, every once in a while, there is the outlier, right? Like, 
I mean, just take any Oakland Raiders draft from like the early 2000s to like when I got drafted. You know, with Al Davis, that guy was a sucker for speed. So usually the fastest receiver, the fastest corner was probably going to the Raiders. So they did help there. But like, I'm reminded back in 2015 of a guy by the name of Byron Jones. Byron Jones, small school guy out of Connecticut, okay? And at the time, going into the combine, I think he was like maybe uh, a late to second rounder to third rounder. Not really a first round guy. The guy comes out, broad jumps at 12-3, sets a world record. And boom, all of a sudden he does that. Cowboys take note, and he's a first round pick. So I think the, the, you know, the whole thing with the combine is it's hard for you to hurt yourself, right? Like if you show up and maybe you look a little sloppy, you added a little weight at the weigh-ins, maybe... If you have just an atrocious 40 time, which is like nowhere near what you expected to run, then possibly. But what the combine does, especially from the drill aspect, is that it kind of sets you apart where if you do something freakishly well, it's going to put you up there to be on teams' radars maybe a little more, right? Like Byron Jones comes out, jumps at 12-3. All of a sudden, the Cowboys are like, who's this Byron Jones guy? We have to watch some more film on him. You see his college film, and it's like, oh, this guy's definitely a first-round pick for sure. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, very good point there. And who knows? Does DK Metcalf go in the third round if he doesn't have this good a performance? Mm-hmm. I guess you could make that case. Although, but, well, see, I still felt like it was a first round guy. I mean, he was being linked to the first and early second anyway. And then his performance here made him like a first round grade in that sense. Like it would have elevated him. And I'm not sure it did. Well, don't forget though, Brent. Yeah, so DK Metcalf comes out, obviously, a guy chiseled by the gods, looks like a G.I. <laughs> Joe, basically, runs, you know, a blazing 40 time. But then don't forget, he runs a shuttle time that was actually slower than Tom Brady's. Okay, so yes, he helped himself out with his size, his weight, his 40 time. But then obviously teams that were kind of turned off, including myself, I was turned off because you you let Tom Brady run a better you know shuttle time than you did. And this is Tom Brady rocking the tall tee, rocking those baggy, baggy starter shorts, looking, you know, pretty swaggerless out there. And he still beats you in the shuttle. So to me, you know. Guys like that, yeah, he did himself some favors, but then obviously hurt himself, too, um, in the shuttle run. But once again, what did, what did that all mean? Not really much because DK Metcalf had a fantastic rookie season. Yeah, he sure did. All right, let's talk about a guy who also had a fantastic rookie season, Gardner Minshew. Jaguars uh, are in a pickle. Uh, they have a quarterback that they paid four years, $88 million. He'll go into year two in Nick Foles. They have a young quarterback who they like, who is a mega star potentially off the field. Uh, and on the field, and they don't really know what he is fully. So that's the situation in Jacksonville. Do they ride with Gardner Minshew and try to say, hey, this, see what this kid has? Or do they go with Nick Foles and say, you know what, he just didn't get a fair enough shake. Uh, he was hurt, and, and it, that was just a miserable year for him, but we still like this guy. And that's what the decision the Jaguars have. Now, in Jacksonville, we know what the fans think. Go with Minshew. Uh, if you've listened to our show over the last couple months, I think you know what we think. Go with Gardner Minshew. What we don't know is what the Jaguars are thinking. Uh, and they didn't shed a lot of light on what they were thinking in terms of making a decision right now and announcing it. We know that's open competition still. But there's a long way to go in this race to decide who the Jaguars' starting quarterback will be when the ball snaps in September of 2020. And Doug Marone talked a little bit about that earlier today here in Indianapolis. We're in a position where we feel we've got two guys that can play, you know, and the best thing to do is say have those guys go out there and, and have them compete, and, you know, when one of them separates themselves um, and there's been enough body of work for it, and then that person's going to be the starting quarterback. Does it matter when you 
name guys? Uh, does like that artists? change? Yeah. Does that does that matter to you? I think I think for me, I always try to be very careful because you're going to get asked that question, you know, quite a bit, and you never want to paint yourself in a corner. The one thing I found that, you know, we answer questions like we're going to have a decision for you Wednesday at noon or or Thursday here or this date or the third preseason game or the second, you know, then what's going to happen is when you say that stuff publicly, people are going to hold you accountable for it and keep asking you for it. You know, for me, I think it's when everyone can see it. And not necessarily, obviously, a lot of everyone watches us practice, but more importantly, when the players can see it. I think I think for a long time, and this might be the player in me, I think kind of when you're sitting in that locker room and you're out there on the field and you're watching all the tape, I think those players know exactly who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. That's Doug Marone talking about the quarterback uh, situation with Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles. There's no deadline for this. You don't want to you know, back himself in a corner. I get that. It's an open competition. But, Austin, I kind of like what he said there. And I think that is reality because I think players do know. And now when you think about Doug Marone and what he's been through in Jacksonville, think about the fact that he, in that one training camp, now I can't even remember, a couple of years ago, uh, it would have been 17, I think, right? Uh, he basically put Bortles in a, in a QB competition. And it was Henny or Bortles, and he ends up going with Bortles. And, you know, Bortles ends up playing well. Mm. He now went through this last year where he had to make a decision. Minshew, keep him playing, or a now healthy Foles, should he be playing? Went with Foles. Well, you can argue it wasn't the right decision. And here he goes again, now has another situation. He also said he dealt with it in Buffalo, too. Hadn't dealt with it in Syracuse, but the guy has been through it before. He knows. He knows the temperature of a team. But I liked what he said about players. Because when the players know that another guy is better, you got to be really careful because you can't fool a locker room. Guys know what is good. I always say that. That's why I like inter- interviewing guys. And when they say something like, wow, this guy's special, or in this instance, when they say, Minshew, that guy's a dog, that stuff matters. And you cannot fool the players, especially as you get closer and closer to the season. When they know, it will be time to announce. I like how Marone put that. Yeah, I mean, it was a good point. I guess here's a couple of my issues, though. Like, if you want to compare it back to 2017, I feel like you can't. Because going into 2017, we didn't know what Blake Bortles was really made of, right? Like, this was a guy who was still trying to learn the quarterback position. And honestly, I thought it was a legit quarterback battle. I had no idea who was going to win between Blake Bortles and Chad Henney. I, I really didn't. And Blake Bortles wins. Obviously, he has a, a very good season, leads the Jaguars in the AFC Championship, and then the rest is history. I think with this past season, it's interesting, right? Because truth be told, Brent, I'm kind of shocked that Doug Marone has come out and said that there's going to be an open battle between Minshew, between Foles, and between Dobbs. Now, obviously, with Dobbs, I think it's a little more of just, you know, optics where, yes, you spend a fifth-round pick on him, so obviously that guy gets a fair shake just like everybody else. I understand that standpoint of it, but I'm just saying where that locker room knows, okay, because that locker room played with Minshew last year, and like you said, they all called him a dog. They all said he's fun to play for. So from that perspective, I'm a little surprised that Minshew hasn't already sealed up that starting spot going into the offseason just because of what he did this past season. And then if you want to get more in-depth into it, if you want to talk about Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone keeping their jobs, well, they had to talk to Shad Khan about something. And we've talked about before on the show a little bit where they're sitting at dinner and is essentially I picture like Shark Tank where Shad Khan's <laughs> like, hey, y- you guys are on the chopping block. Why should I keep you? And maybe they bring up, well, we got Logan Cook. Nope, next. Okay, well, we got Josh Allen. 
Okay, better, warmer, but once again, I mean, he kind of fouled you guys. But, yeah, I like Josh Allen a lot. What else you guys got? Well, we got Gardner Minshew. We, we got this kid in the sixth round. Um, from a marketing standpoint, he's fantastic. He's right up your alley there, Shad. And his analytics on the field, his stats on the field, show that he could be a special guy going forward. And I think at that moment, Shad Khan's like, you know what? Make me a believer. Make Gardner Minshew work, and you guys got your job. So I'm a little shocked, too, from the standpoint of, let's be honest here, I think a big reason why Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone still have jobs is because of Gardner Minshew. And now you're essentially putting him in a quarterback battle where we'll see what happens, but he may not win and Foles could win it. Yeah, that's a good uh, – listen, we agree with that. We're on the same page. That Do I think they're back in part because they told the owner uh, what they what he wanted to hear, and that was, hey – we're going to give Minshew every chance to win this job. I mean, he's still going to win the job. You can't just hand it over to a guy. But we're leaning that way. Yeah, I do. I think that's that's the way it went down. I think you also have to be a little bit careful of this, though, Austin. That's why I disagree with you, too. We, we know that the guys on that football team said that uh, Minshew is a, is a dog, right? We heard it when they were mic'd up and all these other – heard it in front of a mic in the locker room at, on several occasions. So we know they liked him, the moxie of the guy, what he was able to come in and do. But I don't know if we can hold that against Nick Foles. I think if you talk to guys in that locker room, especially the veteran guys, there was a big-time appreciation for Nick Foles going into that season. There was a big-time confidence in Nick Foles. He got hurt. He never played a good football game. And so there wasn't that opportunity to ever have guys on that team say, oh, this guy's a dog. This guy's unbelievable. I mean, this guy, this, hey, Super Bowl MVP. You know, you know what I mean? There was never that chance. And he had two chances, I, I know. He had two chances when he came back didn't deliver but there was never really that chance for Foles to convince the locker room or the locker or us to hear from other players to say, wow, look at that guy, other than the preseason and what he had done in the spring and everything leading up to the year. And we do have to remind folks that, that was all positive. This team was bought in to number seven. They were bought in to Nick Foles being the guy. The question is, did Minshew now knock that off everybody else and now everybody believes in Minshew? Or is that locker room kind of in a wait-and-see mode, be like, hey, is Nick really the guy we thought he was and was last year all injury-based and just didn't go well for him? I see what you're saying here, Brent, but at the same time, we talked about it yesterday a little bit, and we talked about the New England Patriots and Drew Bledsoe. I think if you ask any person in that locker room back in, you know, in 2000 or whenever Tom Brady came by to take Drew Bledsoe's job, I think every player in the locker room would say, yeah, Drew Bledsoe, man. This guy was a dog. You know, we're, we're talking about a three-time Pro Bowler when he played in New England. We're, we're talking about a second-team All-Pro guy. So, like, Drew, Drew Bledsoe, he had that moxie. He, he had that respect of the locker room. But here comes Tom Brady, the sixth-round pick out of nowhere, and just completely takes the rug underneath his feet. And guess what? They win ball games, and Brady does his thing. And you know what? I think that locker room understood, man, the, 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 you know, the, the, this Brady guy himself. He's a dog, and he wants yeah. it. And the same thing can yeah. be said for like a you know a situation like Tony Romo and Dak Prescott. Tony Romo for a while was the man in Dallas, and now I get it as far as the playoff you know push and everything like that. They struggled there, but Tony Romo had everything going for him in Dallas. He hurts his back. Dak Prescott comes in, and Dak Prescott never gives Tony Romo his job back. And I would argue that I think a lot of guys in that locker room probably had Tony Romo's back as well. But they understood, once again, whether it was injuries or whether it was the fact that you got this new kid from Mississippi State who looks very promising um, to lead the team, who has that dog in him a little bit. So yeah. I get what you're saying where Foles, the sample size is small. 
And I get that, man. But at the end of the day, this is the NFL, and, and this is a cutthroat league. And I, I'm all for if a guy outshines you, and he's the younger dude, and he's the cheaper dude, and he's intriguing going forward, then I'm all for starting that dude, man. That's just how the NFL works. Yeah, Mississippi. Uh, you brunch Mississippi State. I don't know if you were talking about in that sense, Dak Prescott, or yeah. uh, or the state of Mississippi for uh, for uh, Gardner Mitchell. <laughs> no, I was talking but, about Dak Prescott. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, go full circle on your conversation. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Ring that bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for the neighbors. But you know, the it, it, go full circle on yesterday's conversation. Drew Bledsoe was replaced in Dallas by Tony Romo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So yeah. it actually happened full circle for Tony Romo. He did it once to Bledsoe and then got it done to him mm-hmm. by Dak Prescott. But I think you bring up a good point. And what you have to wonder, I think, in this conversation, Austin, is when does that full transition take place where mm-hmm. they say, okay, I'm all in with him? You know, And even in that, like after that first year with Brady in, in, in New England, it's not like they had lost faith in Bledsoe. They still really appreciated Bledsoe and were confident in Bledsoe. But then sooner or later, that other guy just takes it and takes it, and you're like, i got to ride with him. We're riding with him. And so I don't know if that has fully transpired in the Jaguars' locker room. I guess that's my point. Sure. And, and will that take place more this spring? Will it take place in August? Has it taken place? And I just don't realize it. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. But I think that's what Doug Marone is talking about. I think that when he sees that, he'll know that yeah. the answer is right in front of him, and it's time to make a move, and we're not going to fool anybody anymore. All right, Dave Caldwell, Jaguars general manager. We also talked to him about the quarterback situation, and there's a lot to think about from a dollar standpoint. Remember, Foles is making a lot of money. Obviously, Minshew is not, but can you have a $15 million backup QB? It's an optic question that people would say, heck no. But it's one the Jaguars are, well, willing to swallow. I think every year is a new year, and, and you you hope that every player takes a jump up, and that's not just Gardner, but that's Nick, too, and uh, another year being in Jacksonville, and, and we'll see um, how that plays out. Both of those guys are in a situation where um, they both have proven in their own way that they can be um, – a good quarterback in the NFL, and, and Nick obviously has a, a much larger body of work than Gardner does. Like Shad said uh, a couple weeks ago, that we have two quarterbacks we feel really good about, and, and we'll see what Coach Gruden devises with our, our offense, Coach McAdoo, and then uh, kind of go th- from there. That's Dave Caldwell on the QB situation of the Jacksonville Jaguars. What you didn't hear there is when asked about, can you have a 15, really it was posed as a $22 million quarterback, but in 2020, the Jags will actually be on the books for about $15 million mm-hmm. of Foles' uh, money. And he said, yeah, it's fine. And listen, there's spin here. There is a little spin here. Let's be honest. And and I get it. And some people don't like it. And the optics, it, it still doesn't play well to have $15 million backup QB. But the Jags will play the card of, hey, we've allocated $20-something million for the quarterback spot. Who cares who's getting the money? You know what? I don't know if I like it like that. I just don't care about the money. <laughs> like, I really, I, like, I've said this countless times. I don't care about the money yeah. as long as it doesn't do one thing, hamper you. Like last year, it kind of hampered the Jags from doing some things they wanted to do. And that's a little bit the case right now, like with Calais and A.J. Boye and how much money can they clear and all those things. And so I would understand when somebody says, yeah, Brett, but if they've got foals on the roster, it is hampering because now you might have to cut Calais Campbell. That's a fair take. It really mm-hmm. is. But in that position of all positions, I don't care who's making what. I don't care who plays. I've been in Jacksonville way too long, and they haven't been able to figure out that spot, Austin. I don't care how many ways and try, uh, different ways you have to try to do it. Just figure it out. Just give me the guy that's going to be successful. And if it's one of these two guys or three guys, I guess if you want to include Josh Dobbs, then 
I don't care who's making what. I really don't. And I would think Doug Marone would, is, be, is thinking the same thing right now because he knows it's all about one thing in 2020, and that's winning football games, and that's whether you're making a dollar or $20 million. No, I agree. And keep in mind, too, in terms of gainsmanship, there might be a little bit of that going on as well because – and I get it, man. It's a, it's a snowflake's chance in – you know what, but yeah. let's let's be honest, though. If you were to come out and say, oh, yeah, Gardner Minshew is definitely the starter. Nick Foles is going to be the backup. Do you think a lot of teams would be intrigued to trade for Nick Foles who are in desperate need, like maybe an emergency situation where they have to go after a quarterback? Probably not. But if you paint the picture where it's like, well, we're still a really big fan of Nick Foles, and it's going to be a true quarterback battle in training camp. You know, I mean, there's a chance that Nick Foles could still be our starting quarterback. I think if you present that idea to teams around the league, and maybe all of a sudden injury happens, maybe all of a sudden the quarterback who they thought was going to be the leader isn't that good anymore, and then maybe that's when a team makes a very desperate trade at a very desperate hour to try to get Nick Foles. I'm just saying, I mean, the, the possibilities are probably not that great, but it's always, it's, it's always out there. Oh, everything's open. And, yeah. and by the way, they would take that in a heartbeat from a front office standpoint. Here's Without my question doubt. to you, Austin. Would you want that if you were Doug Marone? Would you want the Jags to trade away Nick Foles if you were Doug Marone? Absolutely. Because, you would. Well, see, if I'm Doug Marone, I would absolutely want that from the standpoint of, okay, for the first point, if I'm Doug Marone, my job's on the line this year, right? Like, we thought it was on the line last year. He got a second chance. He got a second life. Hallelujah, he's back. Okay, so if I'm Doug Marone, yes, I have to hit the right button, and I have to have the right starting quarterback out there. And like I've been very adamant about, I think Gardner Minshew is that quarterback. But now let's say going into the 2020 season, and let's say that Gardner Minshew maybe isn't that guy. Well, then it kind of points out, you know what? I, I may have made the mistake at the quarterback position. But if you take Nick Foles away from me, if you trade Nick Foles, well, then I don't have any excuses. It's either, well, I have Gardner Minshew here, maybe Joshua Dobbs. And obviously, I'm probably going to start Gardner Minshew. So to me, it makes my job as a head coach maybe a little easier because now you take away the big question. Who do you start, Foles or Minshew? And if you take that question away, it makes my job as a head coach a lot easier. Yeah, it's a great take. I just wonder, in my opinion, if I have to win this year, okay, I've got this security blanket of a guy I know can win football games. Like, I'm not going to the backup quarterback that nobody knows, the backup quarterback that's a journeyman, the backup quarterback that's making 250000 Well, it's impossible, $2.5 million, let's just say that. Uh, i got a guy that's won before. So if, if all fizzles out and I made the wrong decision with Mitchu, I can pull the plug quick enough in late September, early October, and maybe rescue this thing so I have that in my back pocket. That's why I asked you the question that way. Let's listen to Dave Caldwell talk about the dollar impact on the QB position. Uh, he spoke earlier with us uh, here in Indianapolis. The way I look at it is by position group. We allocate uh, a, um, an allotment per position group of, of what we want to budget for, for that position, and we're well under what we what we would budget for that position between the two of the, the players. So uh, it still enables, it doesn't prohibit us from, from signing other players or, or going out and, and getting a free agent because that, that position group is actually a very, uh, very good salary. Yeah, and I get what he's saying, Austin. I understand that the allocation of dollars, and again, if you're allocating $16, $17 million for the quarterback spot in the NFL right now, you're doing all right. Sure. I mean, you really are. But given their situation, if I present it to you like, hey, we got to cut either A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, or we could trade Nick Foles because we don't have that contract, mm-hmm. well, what are you taking? Absolutely. So it, it does, depending on how you f- look at it, it certainly, with the Jags' current situation, could impact 
some of their football decisions that they are making. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say again, I believe from Doug Marone's standpoint, I want as many good football players on my team as possible. And when I have an unknown, which by the way, the Minshew stuff is still an unknown. Uh, you may have confidence in it, but it's still an unknown. And if I have an unknown in that spot, I like the fact that I might have a security blanket that I could pull out of my back pocket in case I really need it and I'm on my ninth life. So, yeah, for, for sure. Which it might already be. But. Well, yeah, who are you telling, man? I mean, if, if, if you're a cat right now, you're pretty nervous. Um, I'm going to say it like this, though, Brent. No matter what button you press for your starting quarterback, to me, that's the button that's going to get you through to save your career. Because yeah. if you end up having to bring up a backup quarterback to start for you to try to salvage a season, nine times out of ten in those odds, I feel like you're not going to be back next season. Because there's no way you can justify, all right, we're halfway through the season, we're not winning ball games. let's bring in the backup and try to salvage the season. I think if that conversation ever takes place in 2020, then I don't think you're going to see Dave Caldwell or Doug Marone back. So to me, it's whoever the starting quarterback is, you have to roll with it. Now, obviously, barring a major injury, you know, where you have no choice, that's a different story. But I'm saying due to the quarterback play, if you were to bench a guy and bring the other guy in due to the quarterback play, odds are you're probably not going to be back next season anyways. Yeah, that's a good thought. I think uh, folks listening to stay in Austin and they're fist pumping right now. They're choking <laughs> their head. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, someone on uh, social media said, damn, Austin back in the studio. Why you do that, Brent? Well, that's Randy, what I'm saying, man. I got no choice. The guy's got a fight coming up. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I can't find him a sparring partner here in Indianapolis, <laughs> and I ain't doing it. I got to be on TV. This face. Not enough makeup to hide some of those hits. <laughs> well, I appreciate you thinking of me, man. And, and listen, I would love nothing more than to go to the Wild Beavers you know, uh, bar downtown Indianapolis. You ever been there yet? Hey, have you guys gone there? Which one is it? It's called the Wild Beavers oh. Saloon. I've been to it before, okay. not obviously this trip, or but it was like Fantastic time, man. Me and Joe Thomas jumping on top of tables, doing the robot. <laughs> it's a fantastic scene over there. So I would love nothing more than to do that with you. But like you said, unfortunately, I have a fight coming up March 6th, so that kind of takes precedent over everything else right now. That'll probably not be Stuart Weber and me tonight. I'm just saying that. <laughs> you never <But> we, know. <laughs> when we come back, we talk more football from the Combine. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 rolls on. Your call's invited, 904-362-9901. The best thing for us to do as an organization is when we have news for you guys on that is to let you guys know when we have news on it. Um, There's still a process that needs to be played, but I think you guys know how we feel about them, and um, we want them here. We're going to try to get them here and keep them here um, one way or another. So uh, I think uh, I'll leave it at that. That's Dave Caldwell earlier today here at the NFL Combine talking about Yannick Ngakwe, and it's the great mystery of the offseason for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What will they do with number 91? Not really sure it is a mystery, quite frankly. They're going to franchise tag him. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, Brett Morneau here at the Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, Austin Lane back in Jacksonville. Coos as well. Stuart Weber here with me in Indianapolis. So uh, we've got Action Sports Jack spread out all over the place. And... Yannick Ngakwe is, uh, you know, we joked about this around the one-year anniversary of our show, Austin. If you thought about one name that was said more than any other name, it might have been Yannick Ngakwe in 2019. We had so many discussions about him. Well, that's not stopping. Mm -hmm. The discussions are only escalating with a wait-and-see approach because until 12th and the Jaguars designate the franchise tag to Yannick Ngakwe, nothing is really going to change. 
we are not going to know too much in terms of the discussions going on. I don't think there have been many discussions going on. I don't think the Jaguars are as turned off on communication as they were back in September and, and late August of last year. I think they'd like to open up those channels again. But now you really have to wonder, because of what Yannick Ngakwe has said, what he has done on social media in terms of tweets or, or Instagram, how much he really wants to be here. And uh, it's crystal clear he doesn't want to be here right now. So the question to me is, can you change his mind? Can you do something to win him over and see a different way of, uh, hey, listen, that thing was messed up. It's, it was our, our bad. Um, and the way you do that is, can you show him enough money? I'm not sure the Jags are willing to do that. Uh, we'll figure that out. Uh, they'll have to figure that out. But in the meantime, I think we're heading down a franchise tag designation here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. You're, you're definitely going to have to franchise tag the guy because that shows that you're still committed to winning. Now, I think knowing Yannick Ngakwe, which I really don't, but I, I'm pretty sure I kind of get his personality and what he's all about. I think he's going to be pretty upset over the franchise tag, and he may threaten not to even play. Um, you know, it, it could be a giant ordeal. And see, to me, Brent, it's kind of funny, right? Because I sat here opening the show. And you played some sound bites of Dave Caldwell talking about how they're going to try to handle this whole thing, you know, under wraps, right? Like they're going to keep it out of the limelight, out of the media, which is the right way to do things, right? But when we talk about it last year, somehow some word got out of supposedly what the Jacksonville Jaguars offered Yannick Ngakwe. So then there's all speculation of like, oh, you know, they offered him, was it $19 million? He turned it down? Why would he turn it? You know, all this stuff. So... To me, it echoes the fact that was this more of a Tom Coughlin situation last year, which I think we can probably agree it was. And now, essentially, what the Jacksonville Jaguars have to do is, number one, they have to give Yannick the money that he wants. But more importantly, they have to try to bury the hatchet a little bit of the big, I guess, cut that Tom Coughlin left with Yannick Ngakwe. Now, can they do that or not? Time will tell. But I think it's going to be very hard because, yes, I get it. Money talks and players all about money, but I've always been adamant about this, Brent. I think respect and loyalty can even trump money sometimes, and that's what we're dealing with right now with Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, and I think there's a, a bunch of different ways to look at it. And, uh, you know, we've talked all around it before, but the reality is whether it was Coughlin or not, it was there eventually was, here's our, here's our offer, what do you want to do with it? Do you want it or not? And obviously it was a not. And then that closed communication. And I've always been critical to this point of whoever made that decision to not keep the communication open and to try to put Yannick Ngakwe, of all people, a guy we know plays with a chip, has principle, and can get really dug in the sand on that stuff, which, by the way, that can be admirable, too. Uh, that's not the guy to do that to. Keep the communication open. And see if you can get something worked out. See if you can kind of meet in the middle. That's how negotiations work. So I've always been critical in that part of it. And now the Jaguars, you have to wonder if they're thinking, all right, if he wants $22 million, well, we can franchise tag for 17 and a half, 18 whatever it is. Heck, we could franchise a second time next year, and we probably wouldn't hit $44 million over the first two years. So now you've got sides thinking of it differently, but at the same time trying to repair a relationship and get this guy to play for you with a whole bunch of adoration for who Yannick Ngakwe is as a player, a person, 
and a teammate. We'll get into that part of it when we come back live from Indianapolis. Doug Marone couldn't have said more nice things about number 91. It's coming up next on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back to the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Brent Morneau here with Action Sports Jacks on the road once again on ESPN 690 and on the TV side, CBS 47 and Fox 30. We'll have that for you tonight. Team coverage with Stuart Weber from the Combine here in the Midwest. Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane back in the studios along with Coos. Jason Fitz is going to join us in a moment. Uh, before we get to that, I wanted to play you Doug Marone on Yannick Ngakwe. And if you don't think the Jaguars want Yannick Ngakwe long term, well, you're kidding yourself. Of course, they have to figure out the business side. They have to repair this relationship. But they love number 91 just as much as most of the fan base. Take a listen. Do you go down the hall and be like, hey, we need to find a way to, to keep this guy. We need to franchise this guy. I need this guy in my roster. I mean, do you have that kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's it not more? the first time I've ever been through. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, I went through a situation like this when I was in Buffalo. and you know. But the one thing I'll, I'll say about Jan is that, you know, I've, I've never seen anyone, you know, that I believe handle a situation better than, than, than he has, meaning that... You know, you're going in, and there's negotiations, and there's contract. But, you know, for me as the coach, and this is what I, I love about Jan, and this is why I love him so much, it never affected how he practiced or how he performed or what he did or how he react. you know, how he, you know, did everything with his teammates. He never brought that into the locker room. So as a coach, you know, I have so much respect for that, you know, and what he did, and knowing that this is a challenging time. So... From my standpoint as a coach, yes, you want to see it get done. You want to see that. You want to see him rewarded. You know, but at the end of the day, the business part of it comes in. But, you know, hey, I love him. There's no doubt where I stand or, or any of us as coaches stand with him. That's Doug Marone uh, just a short time ago here in Indianapolis on Yannick Ngakwe, and no doubt they want him on the roster. I will say what I continue to say. If you could have Josh Allen, Yannick Ngakwe, two guys 25 years or younger, you will have something in Jacksonville that nobody else has in the NFL. And think about that. How often does Jacksonville have something that nobody else has in the NFL? And they would have it at a premier position. It's not quarterback, but it is pass rusher. Two potentially elite pass rushers at the age of 25 and under. To me, that's the biggest motivation, outside of a lot of things, to make sure you have Yannick Ngakwe not just in 2020, but for a long time to come. Hopefully we have this guy for a long time to come. Let's welcome in ESPN's Jason Fitz here at Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Jason, I think it's uh, crystal clear, just so you now know and you don't have to ask the tough questions, Austin and I just don't like each other. We're never in the same studio together. That's I'm in correct. Indianapolis. He's back in the studio. He doesn't mm-hmm. like to travel. He's afraid he's like John Madden. He needs his own bus or something. Uh, but it, we're, we're breaking <laughs> up. Like, wow. you know, he's, he's taller. He's He's... Stronger, which I might want to remind you before you, you know, spot off too much. Uh, yeah, he, I'm in Indianapolis. He's, you know, he <laughs> he's got he needs room to spread out. Like you know what, I I just once in my life, I hope that I could be flying with Mike Gola Jr. where I get a first class seat and then watch him go to coach, just so he can try and figure out why me at five nine needs the first class and he at six <laughs> whatever six four doesn't. Like I, I'm hoping for that. So someday, just to know what that victory feels like. I mean, Austin's not a small guy, so he, he needs room to stretch. Brent, I'm going to say, first of all, I'm a peacock, and you have to let me sp- spread my wings and fly. And number two, eventually you have to come back to your office, okay? It's eventually going to happen. And guess what, dude? I'm going to be here when you do. So what's up? 
<laughs> it will happen. Now, yeah. by the way, uh, Austin Lane, so people have asked, not on the road because he's got a fight coming up on March 6th in Dallas, Texas. So uh, that is just about a week and a half away, and he's got some training to do, and he can't miss training while we're just uh, – Is he sneaky, well, though, just go with, like, an, uh, what was that, another guy's quote? Like, I'm a peacock, you have to let me fly? Like, uh, I mean, of course, man, I'm the guy, right dude. There, right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, that was Mark well Wahlberg. Done by you. Yeah, thank you. That was uh, Mark Wahlberg out of uh, the other guys. But I'll take yeah, credit I, for it. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm catching what you're putting down there. Like I'm all in for now. I've got the image of you doing a little ballet. Just, uh, just <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank goodness Fitz is on the show because I wouldn't have caught that. Yeah, you have a clue, Brennan. It's okay, yeah, man. It's over okay. my head and under my feet, man. I mean, that was just wasn't happening. So, hey, Fitz, what's going on, man? Uh, what do you think about the NFL Combine? How many times would you bench uh, 225? <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, with a little help. The half a one rep, maybe half a one rep. Uh, I will say this. I just heard what you were saying about the opportunity for the Jags, and I think you're right. Uh, there is a tremendous opportunity. And when you know you're locked into a quarterback situation that may be less than favorable because of the salary cap, finding a way to get after the other quarterback is going to be particularly important in a division that right now we know has at least Deshaun Watson. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are willing to put the dots together to put Tom Brady on one of the other teams in the division and take your pick. So, you know, there is a lot of power to, hey, we are who we are right now at the quarterback position and can't address that. So let's make sure we address everything else. And if Ngakwe walks out the door, I think that's one of those moves you look at, and it's only going to make, frankly, the Nick Foles signing sting all the more because if they can't keep Ngakwe because of what what they've paid to Foles, there's going to be heads to roll for that. Jason Fitz with us from ESPN. First take your take, 1 to 3 p.m. daily on ESPN 690. Uh, Let me ask you a big picture about the quarterback situation. We've had these discussions about who's going to be available and all the rest. Has anything changed in terms of your feelings about maybe a Brady ending up somewhere else other than New England? And I guess you'd have to remind us how you felt about it in the last month or so. But I find myself sometimes watching reports or being at a place like this in Indianapolis where everybody's whispering, right, and the rumors start to fly, and you're like, huh, maybe he will go to Tennessee, or maybe he will be in Vegas. or What's the temperature for you on what will happen to Tom Brady uh, in this free agency situation? I still think he goes back to New England because it's the best shot he's got in the AFC at winning the Super Bowl. Now, that being said, part of the reason everybody's going to whisper about it at the Combine is they should. I mean, if this, if you are a fan of a team that has a quarterback that may not be the future, then you want them to make a huge offer to Tom. Make Tom Brady turn you down. I mean, why not? Like, if we're, if we're talking about the next year or two of football and you're looking at what gives you a better, better situation, Tom Brady's going to give people a better situation. He gives the Colts a better situation than Jacoby Brissett, right? So the Colts have disgusting amounts of money to spend. So they should, in my mind, they should at the very least – want him to get a mega offer from their team. Doesn't mean he's going to accept it. I think that's the tougher part of all of it. Jason, we're talking about, you know, the GOAT, Tom Brady. Well, there's kind of a baby GOAT kind of growing up a little bit. The Combine, it seems like, in Joe Burrows. He's had some uh, pretty good quotes so far. And when we talk about the Combine overall, I get it, man. The NFL is tied to it, and just like the NFL likes to do, they like to make money. So they put the NFL Combine, and they shift it to prime time. How do you feel about it? Because in my opinion, man, set aside from maybe the running backs or the corners doing the 40-yard dash, I don't have to see it in prime time, man. I don't have to see offensive tackles in their spandex doing pass sets. How do you feel about the NFL switching to prime time this year for the combine? Yeah, I don't love it. And one of the things, like, I understand the the sort of 
good that the combine can serve. Because one thing I have to acknowledge is that, let's face it, a lot of NFL fans are not college football fans, as alarming as that is to certain parts of the country. So they're going to get introduced to guys that if you cover or watch a lot of college football, you've already seen a lot of. So, you know, uh, frankly, whatever Grant Delpit does at the combine, I don't care. Like, I've seen Grant Delpit play. So what do I care, right? But I think for a lot of people, it's an educational moment where it's dangerous is suddenly now we're judging offensive linemen or defensive linemen, guys that, that, frankly, most of us know very little about whether or not they're going to turn out to be good or bad. We're judging them based on how they do worthless drills in their underwear. Like, that That just doesn't make any sense to me. So that's the danger of the other side of it. I, I think it's it's fun for fans to get informed, and that's why I think people read mock drafts too, because you want to feel like you know every name that's coming across at the beginning of the, the draft. But, you know, aside from the fun, I don't really see any value in it. Jason Fitz with us from ESPN. First take, your take, 1 to 3 p.m. on ESPN 690, Monday through Friday. Check out the show uh, right before our show, Action Sports Shacks, on ESPN 690. Here's the deal, guys. And I say this, and I have to whisper a little bit, because I don't want all these people's bosses calling them. But it's a dirty little (laughs) secret of the combine. It's like a convention. It's like the NCAA Final Four. It's networking. It's a convention for basketball. All the coaches go. Everybody involved in the sport of college basketball, they go to the Final Four. Because of that, there are meetings and such. Well, it's no different here in Indianapolis. That's what this is. And just as much as it is interviews and medical and, and, and these drills. So I think there is an element of that, and uh, that's why you see all walks of life in the NFL, from PR folks to assistant coaches to scouts to GMs to players to media, all gathered in this one spot. It's really the one time it happens even more so uh, than the Super Bowl. So that's the dirty little secret. Now for some and other look, football. Luke, man, oh, I, I appreciate a good steak. Like, I appreciate a good free steak. <laughs> so, like, I get that element of it. I just think fans fawning over watching it on TV is just a little well, alarming to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, I'm sure, like, Las Vegas hosts some pretty good home and garden conventions but like i'm not gonna tune into hgtv and watch that even though you know if i'm a diehard hgtv fan or not i mean i love some of the shows on there for sure love it or list it fantastic but i'm not gonna tune in to watch a convention man i want to be entertained and my time is limited so i'm not gonna watch it listen i think we're all in the same boat here uh but i do think the medicals and the interviews are important uh for the teams uh let me ask you this jason the giants said today or at least they didn't say today they're they're not committing to Daniel Jones in 2020. Like, that's the storyline out of here. Non-committal about Daniel Jones in 2020. They also said they're open for business with that number four pick, which most teams do in that top five. Say, hey, come on, we'll take some offers. Were you a little surprised uh, the lack of backing by Joe Judge and, and Gettleman uh, in New York about Daniel Jones, who's coming off a decent rookie season? I think it's the least transparent, awful attempt at playing poker with people that are smarter than you the whole way. I mean, they're just trying to drive up value for that fourth overall pick. And I get it. Like, they, they want everyone to think, hey, there's a chance. We might we might take a quarterback, so you better trade. Yeah, but, but ultimately, all they're doing in that process, I think, is elevating the value that the Lions can get for the pick above them if that's what they really want. So I don't love the strategy. I don't love what they're doing. None of it makes sense to me. I mean, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks back today questionably, and to see a quarterback not back is every bit as questionable. Jason, we talked about Joe Burrows a little bit, you know, and and obviously his quotes, and by all indications he's saying that, you know, if Cincinnati was to take him at the top spot, he would more than likely play for them. How do you feel about the situation? Because I'm reminded about 
you know, Eli Manning all, all, the, all those years back where he had a chance to go to San Diego. He opts not to do it. He threatens that he won't play if San Diego drafts him. And truth be told, if you watched how that Drew Brees, Philip Rivers situation played out, Eli Manning was kind of right in the fact that he didn't want to go to the organization because it wasn't run well. So how would you feel if Joe Burrows came out and said, you know what? I don't want to go to the Bengals. They don't have a winning culture, a winning tradition, and they're not ran well. Like, would you be upset with that, or would you actually embrace that? No, I embrace any time a player takes empowerment. But uh, the other side of it is I also embrace it because I love the draft and get to cover the draft. So to me, the most <laughs> under-talked about part of this is if he won't play for the Bengals, what do the Bengals do at one? Do they take Chase Young, a absolutely generational player, they say on the defensive line, better than both, so I've heard from several people, do they take the Ohio State-grown product that makes a ton of sense from a marketing standpoint? They can spin it as a, we want people who want to be here. It's a win for them. And if that's what they do, what do the Redskins do it, too? I mean, you talk about quarterbacks not bad. We've heard Ron Rivera specifically say that Alex Smith would get a shot at the job if he's healthy. So do we know that Ron Rivera and the Redskins love Dwayne Haskins? We don't. So what happens at two? I mean, do they become trade partners, or does Joe Burrow blow the whole draft up at two? I mean, I love the drama of all that. So please, take your dusty and just the top five is so interesting. You have become such a good media guy, man. I mean, this is good. Like, we got to get Austin to this stage. He just wants to build the drama. Who cares what really happens? Yeah. We just to build the drama. I like it. As long as uh, my beloved Raiders don't draft somebody I've never heard of in the first round, we're fine. <laughs> hey, I thought of this today. If If... Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young are unbelievable in the NFL. Whoever the guy is recruiting them should be hired by someone's scouting department in the NFL because it's a premier position, and this guy knows how to get defensive ends to Ohio State. I mean, that is an unbelievable run on pass rushers. I know it's a different game, right? right? I mean, that's otherworldly talent coming out there that is being identified and developed. So, yeah, a lot of credit to Ohio State. I mean, Absolutely. What, they, what they've what they done at the, that position particularly is a game changer. Like certain teams like Alabama don't draft well uh, moving up because the guys come out so so beat up in the minds of some. But, man, you're looking at these Ohio State defensive linemen. It's like, yep, I'll take them all day every day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason Fitz, well, uh, thanks for hey, joining us. Hey, Jason, oh, I, I, I have one more question for you, Jason. And, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have been talking about David Ayers from the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, he uh, he ends up driving the Zamboni, gets in the game, wins the game for the Carolina Hurricanes. Just a really feel-good, inspirational story. Jason Fitz, my question to you, man. If you're at a concert, any concert at all, and a musician goes down and they ask, can somebody play this instrument? Can you come up on stage and play it? What band and what instrument are you playing, um, you know, to try to, I guess, live that dream a little bit? Okay, well, that that's an easy one. I'm hopeful that it's a country uh, element to it because I prefer not to embarrass myself. So I'd like to have a fiddle, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, but I can also cover piano parts and uh, organ parts and a little bit of guitar. So I can cover any of those, but it's definitely Bon Jovi. Like, I want to be a Bon Jovi for one day. You just put me, my first concert was Kid Row Bon Jovi. I mean, you put me in Bon Jovi for one day, preferably on the one show that Richie Sambora has made up with John and they're together. <laughs> and I'm like, I can die at that point. I can wait, die. Wait, so your first concert ever was Bon Jovi? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie oh, Sambora wow. exploded up from under the stage, landed in this trench coat, and there's smoke everywhere on what I now called a, no, it's called a toaster, the thing that pops up from under the stage. Of course. He lands, and I'm this little classical music kid, and I'm watching the smoke all over Richie Sambora. And I just looked at the stage, and I stared at it, and I said out loud, that's cooler than anything I've ever done. And it changed my life. Like, I uh, I learned a couple of things about myself that day. One, I wanted to be a rock star. 
And dad, I thought my dad, when was my dad? I was on my dad's shoulders. I really thought he was smoking a lot of cigarettes. It took me a lot of time in life to figure out he wasn't smoking cigarettes, but he was having a good time. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest, man. That sounds like a, a fantastic first concert experience. I'm going to have some words with my mom because my first concert and my second concert were Michael Bolton. So, yeah, I'm going to have to have some words with my mom. Yeah, back-to-back Michael Bolton, John Bachman. Can you believe that, dude? Unbelievable. Man. I um. Uh... I, I, if you don't play John Bolton, uh, John Bolton, if you don't play Michael Bolton when you come into the ring next time, you're not American. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm sad. <laughs> Jason Fitz, thanks, man. That was a lot of fun. Great question. Also, I love the answer as well. Uh, first take, uh, your take, 1 to 3, ESPN 690, Monday through Friday. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate y'all. Thank you, man. Right, that's Jason Fitz. Hey, by the way, Austin, like I put on the show today, like what question would you ask a, a draft prospect that is a yeah. little bit out there, but not like as out there as you said yesterday, <laughs> sure. uh, all the questions you were asking. They've kind of yeah. limited that a little bit. Yeah. That one would be a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, and the truth be told, I was going to ask you the same question, but in terms of sports media, like say you you have to call like one game for whatever sport, the, the announcer goes down, they need somebody to fill in, Brent, what like... I guess, what event would you call? Ah, that's great. And I've never called a baseball game, but it would definitely be the World Series. Yeah. So uh, game seven, a uh, game seven in the World Series. And, and by the way, like you say that, and I'm sure it happened, you know, in your business, you know, if you're, if you're a backup uh, in, in the NFL, mm-hmm. if it happens uh, to Jason Fitz, who, you know, plays an instrument, and as he's coming along and trying to get a break and – and it happens in our business, John Bachman. You kind of like, when I first started out, and I'm like the third guy in Providence, I'm like hoping the guy calls in sick one night, and I just get thrown out there and have to go do it. Absolutely. And, and uh, so that's, now I do that with Bachman, actually. And I just hope he gets, and I have to go th- do the news from 5 to 7. <laughs> Is my microphone not on? Hey, Kuz, we got John's microphone on. Whoops. Oh, who was sleeping on the job there? Way to go, Kuz. He's probably eating. (laughs) Actually, I think he was. Chips, sorry. (laughs) We're good now. Uh, Yeah, no, I I can remember when I was in Atlanta, when I was, uh, you know, night night beat reporter, night side reporter, and um, the main anchor had some issue come up, and they were like, can can you do it? I'm like, oh, yes, I can. Yeah. I was the weekend anchor at the time, so it was great. It was exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I will say this too. You know, it seriously did happen to me to a degree, um, and not like long term, you know, not like in a Wally Pip kind of way. But uh, and, and I'll tell you the story, and it reminded me of it last week, and that's why it's top of mind. The, I was in Providence working at CBS and Fox, and I was 22 years old when Dale Earnhardt died, mm. and so it's still a big story all around the country, even though it's up in Providence, Rhode Island. Mine, unfortunately, my sports director got in. It wasn't a serious accident, but it was a fender bender. And so could not make it to the show. Uh, and so I had to jump in there as, like, the third guy, the guy that had been on, like, the anchor desk, like, three times in Providence. <laughs> and I had to do that story. Now, that wasn't something I was rooting for, you know, to do that kind of story. Cause no, that's but a it's a big story, story and obviously that's a lot of but, exposure for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're talking in a different way, kind of mm-hmm. in a fun, uh, entertaining kind of way. Uh, but I would say Game 7, World Series, yeah, that'd be pretty cool if you could jump in there. Joe Buck needed a little uh, break. He lost um, his voice. 
Yeah. yeah. I yeah. could uh, I think go that's to the great. And, and call me in. That would be good. That's a good question. I See, that wouldn't be a bad combine question, Austin. Uh, yeah. If you got that question at the combine, you wouldn't be complaining 10 years later. No, see? no, I really wouldn't, man. I wouldn't be all bitter. And, yeah, I would just be a, a happy sure with the answer. answer like Bolden? I mean, that's kind of bitter. I mean, you sound bitter about uh, it. I might be a little bit. I'm trying to think, like. Back to back Bolton, by Dude, the way. Not just the first concert, but your first two concerts. I mean, let's be honest. And listen. Mom's a great woman. All yeah. Right? And, and the way it was set up, and this is the cheesy thing about it, real quick. So the Michael Bolt, Bolton concert, it was preceded by the Green Bay Packers take on the Bolton Bombers softball charity event. So like, okay. Michael Bolton had his own softball <laughs> team wow. with like, the players in his band. But to be fair, though, looking back on it now, do we call protective services on my mom? <laughs> Back-to-back Michael Bolton? It's it's borderline for sure. I'm trying to think of a Bolton song to quote to kind of answer your question. I can't. And and don't get it twisted. This isn't like Michael Bolton nowadays, like where he's kind of like the the cool older guy. This is like long hair. Yes. Are you a girl or a dude? Because I didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) Michael Bolton. No, I mean, let's be honest, dude. I mean, I get it. It was the early 90s, and back then hairstyles were, it is what it is. But I'm just saying, it wasn't cool Michael Bolton. It was... Very serious I don't know Michael if there is a cool Michael Bolton. Oh, yeah, there's, 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 there's a cool Michael Bolton. There's a cool Michael Bolton. Okay. Shame on you, John. This guy's all over you, by the way, on Twitter. He's, yesterday, Miley. Today, Michael Bolton. Yeah. Oh, what he say now? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's, he's talking smack again? <laughs> I, dare, oh, I dare him to say it to his face. That's what I say. Yeah, right? Hey, Austin. <laughs> Austin, what was the question you got at the combine about your mom? Uh, I was asked if my mom, if I found my mom attractive or not. All right. So, you, you, so here we go. You, yeah. you should have answered that question with... She took me to Michael Bolton's concert <laughs> for my first new concert. Like, that so would have been a think? classic answer. Yeah, exactly, man. That would have been a lot better as opposed to just getting offended right away. Like, how many times can you hear, when a man loves a woman? That's, that's, the, that's the only one. Three, four minutes of just, okay, I, can't, I don't understand it. A little out of my age group. But. He plays the sax, too, right? And that's where he, he does. He that's does. what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe that's where like my, my my roots of saxophone came from. My, I saw Michael Bolton. I'm like, his hair is ridiculous. Doesn't look that cool. But you know what? That saxophone looks pretty cool. I mean, I feel like you're on a couch right now, man. And this is coming like it's coming out. Like this is where this is where that's where I fell in love with the saxophone. This, this it just a, hit me. This is really a sports show. So much of me just getting some stuff out and airing it out for everybody. Austin's therapy. Yeah. There it now is. There it is. Yeah. Hair hair down to his hips, by the way. And not a good way. How come I always bring? I, how come I, I come on the show and then just ru- everything just hits the fan? I, I I'm, 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 I Brent's like never gonna let me on the show again. Hits the fan like or goes into overdrive. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I feel like when I was a kid, man, people really liked Michael Bolton, though. Uh, no, I mean there were a lot. There were a lot of people who yeah. bought his albums for yeah. sure. I'm sure he's he's a fan favorite. I'm just saying, Brent, being my age and being in may, grade school, I may or may not own a Bolton album that I may or may not have played in college for. <laughs> A variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I'm just there saying. There it is. Rabbit hole now. Now yeah. I'm not going to uh, go down any farther than that. I'm just telling you. That's what. That's what. That may or may not be true. Yep. Why don't uh, you tell us what you got coming up tonight on CBS 47 <laughs> and Fox 30? <laughs> Instead, uh, can I tell you my first concert? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do what it. you got? Tesla. 
Nice. Yes. Tesla and Firehouse. Damn. What, what song in Firehouse sing? Real oh, quick. the one. Sorry. The one. Now that you're asking me, Sorry, uh, man, I'll, I was thinking I'll I had signs it. ready to go because you were going to ask me about that. And yeah. Firehouse is um uh, uh oh. I, if if we were singing Bolt and I'd have it because it was also falsetto stuff. Love of a lifetime. Yes. Finally found, found love, love of a lifetime. lifetime. Yeah, that one. Got it. Nailed. Okay. Yeah, that one. That's it. Th- that was my first concert. Brent with I my mean, buddy Chad Richards. Brent, what do you got real quick? I'm in the bathroom. We... I don't know. I just went. Got. I had to go to the bathroom break. Uh, wait, I don't know wait, what you guys are talking wait, about wait, over there. What? <laughs> no, but Brent, what was your first concert? Were you the guy I talked to? I heard in the bathroom the other day down downstairs. I'm in the bathroom. This guy's carrying on a full-on conversation in the stall. I didn't know he was if he was talking to me at first, and I'm like, nope, he's not talking to me. That's uncomfortable. Although I would, might have said I did that with uh, Dan Mullen uh, in, at the Super Bowl. <laughs> really? Yeah. You mean you were in the bathroom talking in? on the phone, and he comes in? I walked into the bathroom and Mullen oh. kind of walked in at the same time, and so I was just hey, I said hello to him and I was asking him about because we were at Top Golf actually we were killing time in between our show and when the Super Bowl uh, was going to start, and so he was too. He was just killing time. He's there with his kid, and so I was asking him about his kid because the kid likes to play golf. And meanwhile, Mullen disappears into the stall, but I'm still yapping away with. Him. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, I mean this guy was on a phone conversation. I walked in, and he was in a full-on oh, phone conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, do way I flush the toilet? Do yeah. I not flush the toilet? I don't want to interrupt him. Just way too aggressive. I was, uh, wow. Anyway, yeah. all right. Guys, so let's move I got to be honest with you. I am thinking of this question you're asking me. Yeah. And and I don't know what my first concert was. Well, see, like, that, really might, that might explain some things. Brad, what's up, man? If you I, can't I, remember. Do, do, do you want to hash some stuff out real quick? Do you remember man. your first concert? My well, first concert gonna... was what Weird was Al. No way. That's serious. I'm not mad at that, though. Other I can't that, hate that. Purple Hat just came out, man. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, it's better than Bolton twice. I know, dude. <laughs> Back-to-back Boltons. <laughs> but listen, here's what I'm debating, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really trying to figure out if just my sisters went to New Kids on the Block or if I had to go oh, along. Oh, just say sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Just say sisters. Like, I'm not. I, guess, I know they were in Providence. I know they were hot then. Like it was a big thing. You know they had some uh, Massachusetts connections. Be my, si- my older sister loved them. <laughs> yeah, <They're, laughs> I didn't I think they were hot. New kids on the block, hot, hot. <laughs> Brent Martin. But uh, I got. I'm gonna have to ask my sisters that. I don't know if I went. I don't think I did. Let's hope not. But I'm having second thoughts. Like I might have had to go. Like I was like <laughs> ten or something. Someone's got to watch you. <laughs> So I really oh. don't know. That might have been it. And that could explain his distaste for music. Yeah, there it is, man. How about, how about Weber's listening in? He says he shows me a picture. His first concert was OzFest 1997. Oh. Ozzy, Bo- Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne. That's awesome. Well, how, how old was, was he? Yeah, 97. Was he? How, He's how young, but you not that young. 12. You were 12. Oh, no, he went He went to Ozzy at 12? That doesn't count. <laughs> not buying <laughs> Who it. Who took him? Not buying it. That, Does that, he have that an older brother? made up. Did you go with buddies or a family? Buddies, buddy, wait, at twelve, no, you just go with buddies. Oh, mom's gonna just drop you off and ask the No, 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 no. He went, he went red. Yeah, no, get out of here. You're a liar. Just trying to sound cool. No, no, no. He said with his buddy's parents went to, so they took him. Okay, all right. Wow, that's pretty know. impressive. That's, I mean, that's. I don't think he was making it up. He showed you the program. Well, okay. Like just pulled right. it up. I mean, wow. I, can, I can go on Google and show you programs from Michael Bolton, but why? I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a lot of work deal, to make yeah. that up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mom. I know she's listening too. Is this now, snowing what? up there? Is this snowing up there, Brent? 
Nah, it's actually raining. It's like 42 oh, and raining. Yeah, it's raining down here, and we've got uh, Burrish uh, outlining uh, exactly how much we're going to get tracking the rain and when it's going to end, and then the cold weather that comes behind it. But it's all relative because it's not going to be as cold as Indy, that's for sure. That is good. And uh, then uh, we've got I, we tweeted out this crazy video. If you haven't seen it, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I retweeted it, but I will for sure by the time I'm done talking to you all now. Uh, but it's from Jacksonville Beach. They just released surveillance video of these two bicyclists riding their bikes this morning, um, and a car just went right. They were able to jump off their bikes a split second before the car just plows right over. You can hear the crunching of the oh, bikes. Wow. Uh, it's it's remarkable. And then, of course, the driver kept going. Really? It looked like the driver hit the brakes and then thought better of stopping and, and said, I'm out of here. So they're looking for the driver of this car. <sighs> wow. Thank goodness nobody was seriously hurt. But uh, it's crazy video. But when they you have see video, it. man, so they should be able to get that car. You well, think, right? you, they, they know what kind of car it is, but I don't think they necessarily saw the license plate. I'll have to double-check that. But at this point, they're definitely looking for the car. And it's going to have some damage, maybe not some major damage because it was bikes and it, you know, I mean, sure. uh, it wasn't like hitting a car. Um, but, yeah, so – but somebody knows who, who did it, that's for sure. Um, so we're working to track down the, the folks <laughs> on the bikes. Um, but that's a crazy story. And then a really cool story. I'll leave you on a positive note about this uh, parent. And I'll, I'll leave you with guessing as to the reason. You'll find out at five. But a parent paying it forward, um, really touching, bought um, a lady the, the birthday cake for her child. She was going into the bakery and the baker, per, the person in the bakery said, your, your cake's already been taken care of. And she was moved by this. And so she wanted to find out how and why, and it's a really touching story that you'll see. Uh, Christy Turner, I think, is doing that story, um, and it's a really touching story. So you'll Very see that cool. tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. good stuff. I always yep. like that. That's fun stuff uh, and, when that happens. And the, you mentioned David Ayers, by the way. I have got yeah. to tell you, I'm a caniac. I was yeah, you're in love with this story. I, I, I feel like you've tweeted like more that. about this story it. than his parents. Stop. <laughs> No, I dude, watched. I, he did a he did a news conference today. Yeah. Uh, in Raleigh, um, it was like 25 minutes of the most compelling television because you're watching this 42 year old dude. He yeah. is the guy who drive. He, he doesn't drive the, technically the Zamboni anymore. He used to drive it, but he mm. loves the whatever. But he's just your regular dude, and now he's been thrust in the spotlight, and w you just can't get enough of this guy. He is just well, the nicest, humble human being and then for what he was able to do and i talked about this yesterday a little bit but dude the, the goalie position in my opinion like we always talk about the quarterback position being the most important in all of sports right because it's the, the, like the double standard but the goalie position could argue is even more important because like you look at the goalie position of if a guy even looks at a goalie wrong it's you're ingrained as a hockey player to go after that guy mm -hmm. right like that's that's the general that that's your captain he's the goalie it's just it's a special position man for someone to come up off the streets like you were saying man and to fill that role and to win a game oh insane dude yeah and his stuff's in the Chills, hall of fame man. now it's so Chills. great and yeah. he was on colbert last night on yeah. cbs yeah, 47 he's a good morning great. america he's everywhere yeah, it was yeah. great Cool stuff. That's pretty good. Uh, awesome stuff. All right, John Bachman, right, uh, Tanika Hughes, Mike Borish, and we'll have uh, team coverage from the NFL Combine on CBS 47 and Fox 30 coming up tonight, 5 p.m. until 7 p.m., 10 p.m. until 11.30 p.m. All your news, weather, and sports. Action News Jack, CBS 47 and Fox 30. When we come back, the Jags like their offensive line way more than you do. Hear why. When we come back, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, <laughs> live from Indianapolis on the road once again, this time at the Combine.
You know, the offensive line, we were just had a meeting before we came here, and we feel like that's actually one of the strong points of us. But I think the NFL is going to an off-scheduled quarterback, and when you have a quarterback that, that can do some off-schedule plays and, and uh, when when things break down or create a play with their feet and, and, and get third third down and, and convert to first down, I think with Gardner that that's, a, that's a, a very good trait to have. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did I just hear Dave Caldwell lean toward what about Nick Foles? Hey. as the starting quarterback? What about Nick Foles? We talk about him too? Interesting. Well, it's not that he said Gardner's name, because in that, to be fair, in the context there, I was there. So he was asked about Gardner. Okay. And his skill set, and given the, is he, does he have an upper hand because of his play last year? And he's played more games now for the Jags in front of the Jaguars' eyes and their brass and their coaching staff than Foles has. So I think it was part of that. But what got me there is, wait a minute, the NFL and Dave Caldwell and the Jags are acknowledging the NFL is going to this more off-schedule QB. That's important. Uh, you know, no different than, heck, in the last decade, the NFL has gone to the mobile quarterback. That's what they're trying to say. But I think they're acknowledging it more than ever before. That's my point. Uh, rather than the check-the-box quarterbacks that you would find here in Indianapolis. That still does matter, but it's not the only thing that matters. And I think that's crystal clear with some of the guys that are playing quarterback and having success at the NFL level these last few years. But there is no doubt, if you listen to that soundbite, that the off-schedule nature of that part of the soundbite was referring to a Gardner Minshew strength Mm -hmm. and not a strength of Nick Foles. I mean, we are talking about two different kind of QBs in terms of that style. So, again, we believe that they're leaning toward Gardner Minshew. That bite right there, that sound bite, as we go deep inside the business, was indicative of why they might be leaning toward Gardner Minshew, in, in, at least from a broad perspective, is he allows you to do things. He protects your offensive line, potentially. Now, there are other ways that a veteran quarterback can protect their offensive line, too, that maybe a young quarterback cannot, and that's fair, but... I just was struck by the way Dave Caldwell said that and said, wow, that speaks to one of the quarterbacks on the roster, not necessarily the other guy, Austin. No, without a doubt. And I definitely agree with Dave Caldwell on the fact that if you have a mobile quarterback who can create his own plays, but of course it's going to up the offensive line out. But of course it's going to make them look a little better, right? Like, I think we could all agree that the Ravens offensive line is legit. Now, a lot of that has to do with, you know, Jackson, obviously, the MVP guy, getting open with his legs, and I'm sure it makes their job a lot easier. But keep in mind as well, though, Brent, with the Baltimore Ravens, they were fantastic in the run game when they gave the ball to Ingram as well, right? They're a downhill power type team, and Ingram had a, you know, a great season pending when he got hurt and everything. So, I see what Dave Caldwell is saying from the standpoint of if you have a mobile quarterback like a Minshew, it's going to make things easier on the offensive line. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I also remember during the season the fact that Leonard Fournette was constantly getting hit in the backfield, constantly getting the ball in a split second later. He's having to shake guys off, right? Constant tackles for loss. So from the standpoint of I get you want to probably be a pass-first team and everything, but you can't you cannot deny, especially when the playoffs come around or whether it's in a bad you know bad weather. That you have to be able to run the ball at least a little bit, and even on the goal line too, in red zone situations. And I think last year, what we saw from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we actually broke it down a little bit, um, was the fact that they were not that great at run blocking, especially in the red zone. 
Well, one of the big topics I want to hit today is this offensive line because there is a disconnect between fans and the Jaguars down in that building on how they feel about it. Simple. Fans don't like their offensive line. I just had a tweet, in fact, said uh, this is old boy, says it was bottom five line last year and probably would have been worse if Foles played more games. That's how people feel about their offensive line. Now, that's one take, but that's not far-fetched from what a lot of people believe. How do you feel like their offensive line is on paper, Austin, going into 2020? Would, do you think it's a, a major fixed spot for this franchise if you were Doug Marone, if you were Dave Caldwell, if you were in the decision-making process? Would you be like, whoa, fellas, we got some big dudes at 9 and 20 potentially, and we could use an upgrade. How do you feel about it? So, I mean, on paper... If you're to break down the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line, like, listen, you have Juwan Taylor. I think you like what you saw from him going forward, right? He looks very promising. I love him in the run game. I, I, you know, I get his pass sets will eventually come around and he'll get better only with time, and I'm cool with that. But I think the guy brings a, a certain type of attitude that you want from your prototypical right tackle. So as far as I'm concerned, Juwan Taylor, right tackle, you're fine, man. And, and you know what? Going forward, you, you could be talking about a pro bowler, and maybe if you're really lucky, you're talking about an all-pro guy in Drawn Taylor. I think he could be that talented. So Drawn Taylor is all set. Um, if you go to the, the right guard, you got you know the AJ Can Will Richardson. I'll be honest with you, man. Like I thought both those guys played okay, Brent. But once again, I was never a big fan of rotating those two guys. Yeah, but okay? you might have been wrong. About what? About rotating them. Like it worked out okay. I, I I beg to differ, man, because if you want to say that it worked out, well, that means that they both played pretty well. If they both played pretty well, why not just play one guy then? Well, I think they did in the last game. Yeah. <laughs> it took 16 games to figure well, it that's out. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because it was A.J. Can, correct? It was, and A.J. Yeah. Can, and, and you'll hear Doug Marone a little bit later, but he thinks that worked and helped A.J. Can become a better player. Well, uh, but my, I'm just saying, yeah. hey, I'm just listen. I thought their production at the right guard spot was pretty good. Listen, I, I, I thought it was pretty good. I think it was okay, but once again, if you have two rotating right guards, I don't think you have any rotate. I don't think you have any right guards. Okay, that's I just, get your theory. I get that's your just principle. what I'm saying, man. I'm just saying I'm not sure it played that way. Like I, I would say yes going into it. I would say I agree with you, and I understood where you were coming from. But I think looking back on it, like I don't think it cost them anything. I mean, I guess agree or disagree, man, but one would think, well, if A.J. Can was really the guy going forward, then why keep taking him out? Why, you know, why keep letting him use that, lose that flow a little bit, and why not get him acclimated? Because to me, offensive line, just like the defensive line, it's you have to gel together. You, you can have five guys offensive line that are uber talented, but if they don't play together, if they don't have each other's back, it doesn't really matter to me. So that, that's why I was so adamant about rotating guys in. But I, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, yeah. Point point blank, I mean, A.J. Can played his best game of the season, probably last game of the season. And the, yeah, the, and the offensive line was really clicking. And obviously they passed a lot more than they ran, but obviously the offensive line looked pretty legit against the Colts. I think if you look at the center position, Brandon Linder, you know, for what he's getting paid, Brent, you know, is he a top three center in the NFL? I would argue probably not, but I'm not concerned with him, okay? Like, as long as he can stay healthy... He's fine. Is he a top six or seven center in the NFL, you think? You know what? When I watch Brandon Linder on film, I don't go, oh, there goes Brandon Linder again messing. You know, like, I mean, he's, to That's me. That's usually a compliment well, to an offensive line. Especially a center, though, too, right? Where the center position, it's kind of a funny one, you know? Like, I can sit here and I can say Jason Kelsey's the best center in the NFL. 
the only reason I'm going to say that is because I've seen the guy in traps. I've seen the guy in movement. And, like, that's what gets my attention. Yeah. Brandon Linder doesn't do that, right? And the Jaguars aren't really a pass-happy, screen-happy type of team. So it's hard to really see what he has to offer at his disposal. But I think with what they ask him to do, I think he does a pretty good job. So I'll say Brandon Linder's fine. I'm not worried about him. I don't think he's top, pay, top three anymore. I'm going to find that out. But he was at one time. I, I think he was the highest-paid guy in, in the league. But now with the money changing, yeah. he's probably not that. All right, move on to Norwell real quick. So with Andrew Norwell, um, listen – I think when I describe Andrew Norrell, I think he's adequate. Once again, I think he's the top. I think he's right now the top three in terms of left guards in the NFL getting paid. I don't think he's played like that, and I think he'll be the first one to tell you. But once again, I mean, the, the, there's been a couple instances where you know I've kind of shaken my head and like I, I see Andrew Norrell's shoulders turn and he's looking behind the line of scrimmage because his guy just blew right past him. So I think he could be a little bit of a liability. He was last year a little bit, but overall, with what they ask him to do, once again, I'm not too worried about it. But to me, where the big question mark is is Cam Robinson at left tackle, and arguably, it's probably the most important position on your offensive line. Right, because you you protect the quarterback's blind side, and I think with Cam Robinson once again, was he injured last year? Was he not 100 percent? One could argue maybe he wasn't. I I really don't know how he was feeling. The coaches have a better idea of that. But to be fair, I don't know how confident you are going forward this year with what you saw last year. Now. Brent, maybe the guy was hurt. Maybe he's going to be 100% in this training camp, and maybe he's going to knock everybody's socks off. We'll see. But I'm just seeing from what we've seen on film so far, injury or no injury, um, I think you know the left tackle position is a little bit of a liability. So I'm not confident with that spot right now. Um, I'm not confident you know, with the backup if it was going to be like, is Cedric Oboye still on the team as well, correct? Uh, or, yeah, I yeah. think so. i got to check Away's status. I should yeah. know that. So um, like, I'm not the most uber-confident with him either. So I think left tackle um, could be a question mark for sure. And then it can beg the question, well, if you still want to keep Cam Robinson, can you move him to guard? I don't think he's ever, ever played guard before. No. So there's always that conversation as well. But I would say right now, left tackle, maybe Norwell, and AJ can assuming that he maintains his starting role and doesn't rotate. Um, those could be question marks. But overall, to to kind of echo Dave Caldwell's sentiments a little bit, I'm not overly concerned, but it can definitely get better. All right, so here's the deal. The big oh, by the way, uh, Brandon Linder now the 13th highest paid center oh, wow. in the league. There you go. I didn't realize it had dropped that far down. So they're getting that kind of play at the very least, and probably. Uh, okay play and, and better than that kind of play at this stage of his contract, I would say. And last year he stayed healthy. That's been a big problem for Brandon Linder if you look at his whole resume. There's a lot that goes into the offensive line. I've always said this. I'm not an offensive line guru. I can't tell if a guy's playing well or not. You have to refer to the experts. You have to trust what people say who you talk to. I do think a big part of it, much like they mentioned quarterbacks being able to go off schedule and help protect an offensive line, and some would say a, a, a pocket quarterback helps an offensive line because the offensive line always knows where they're at. They're not looking around trying to find their guy who's running out of the pocket. Mm. So there is a sense of that. But I also think play calling comes into play big time in the offensive line. And if you go back to that Indianapolis game where Foles was set up to fail, in my opinion, they did not hand it to Fournette. He threw it 47 times. I just thought that was an instance. I think he only got sacked twice, but it felt like he got sacked 20 times. 
that was an instance where the offensive line is on their heels because they had no run game. This was a close game going into the third quarter. They're passing all the time, and you got a guy that's just coming back from injury and doesn't move very well to begin with. So I thought the play calling there really put the offensive line in a tough spot. And I think there are people in the building that would say the same. So that whether that's an excuse or or it's right on the money, well, that we can debate that. But that was an instance of it. Anyway, the whole conversation here is this disconnect between Jags fans and everybody who feels about the offensive line and the Jags. Listen to Caldwell's response when I asked him about the offensive line earlier today. You guys like your offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be the one of the biggest disconnects <laughs> from everything we hear outside the building. Well, I think it's like that, nobody likes yeah. your offensive well, line. <laughs> I, I, I think that's an easy that's an easy, uh, easy thing for. Uh, I don't think we're alone in that uh, fan base. I think if you look across the league, and and the number one complaint with a lot of teams is probably their offensive line, but. Uh, Leonard was, I don't know where he finished from from a rushing standpoint and where we finished from a team, but we were able to run the ball effectively, um, pass protect effectively. And I think uh, Cam Robinson coming back and being healthy for a full off season. Andrew actually played at a high level. Um, Linder probably played at, at an extremely high level as a center. AJ and Will did a nice job as a rotating guard. And we have a guy that we feel like has a very high ceiling in, in Jawan Taylor. So I think Doug feels like that's one position group that could be even better this year for us. That's Dave Caldwell earlier today here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We'll talk about his comments right there, what it means for them in the draft, especially the first round, the early rounds, where they could add to their offensive line and also get Doug Marone's thoughts on the big heavy guys up front, how he feels about them going into 2020, because quite frankly, that's most important. He's got to win football games. And what does Doug Marone, an offensive line guy, feel about his group that he has? We'll get to it next. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. One more hour to go from the Combine in Indianapolis. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. You guys like your offensive line. Mm-hmm. It might be the one of the biggest disconnects from everything we hear outside the building. Well, I think it's like that, nobody likes yeah. your offensive well, line. I, 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 I think that's an easy that's an easy, uh, easy thing for. Uh, I don't think we're alone in that. Uh, fan base. I think if you look across the league and and the number one complaint with a lot of teams is probably their offensive line. That's Dave Caldwell earlier today when I asked him about the offensive line. I hope that didn't come off sound a little disrespectful. I uh, didn't intend for it to be. It's just it, it's reality, man. Uh, people do not like this offensive line play of the Jags and they haven't for a long time overall. Uh, of course, 17 when they had the number one run offense and uh, that year was good. They liked it. Listen, Leonard Fournette had a nice year. Uh, I understand uh, the third and ones, fourth and ones weren't great, but Leonard Fournette did have a nice year. Uh, they did not have like 50 sacks on the season. I don't believe what the number was. I can't remember. Sure, maybe Minshew uh, saved them some, but the the offensive line is a target when I talk to people about the Jacks. I mean, they just like they've got to fix the offensive line, got to fix the offensive line, and it's just not how they feel inside the building. That's kind of the whole point of this, and that was the point of that question to Dave Caldwell earlier today. Brent Morton here at the Combine, Austin Lane back in uh, the Action Sports Shack studios. As we continue that conversation a little bit, uh, he mentioned that Andrew Norwell played well, mm. and again, you talk about a disconnect. There were eyesore kind of plays from Andrew Norwell. And we talked about this last year, Austin. We wondered that, did he just have some of these plays that were so bad, but the other 60 plays in a game were good? 
but nobody wants to talk about it. Well, I think that's what the Jags are trying to say. Hey, he wasn't as bad as he looked at times. Uh, I don't know if that makes anybody feel any better, but there is a sense that he might have had one or two bad plays, and when they were bad plays, they were really bad plays. I don't know if that makes $14 million acceptable at that position, but it also might not make him as bad and expendable as maybe the rest of the fan base felt all fall last year. I mean, yeah, listen, I I can distinctly remember a couple times where I saw Andrew Norwell turn around and, you know, he basically got beat. Now, that, that happens to everybody, I understand that. But at the same time, it's the same thing with Miles Jack. We we harp on Miles Jack all the time because he's a top three middle linebacker. At least he gets paid like it. And when he doesn't play up to those abilities, people want to call him out. Now, is my Miles Jack, you know, the, the the worst middle linebacker in the NFL? Absolutely not, man. And I think if you go back and watch the film, I think he had to do a lot of things to try to make up for some of the lack of the things that he wasn't getting on defense. So he, you know, I guess he tried to play above and beyond his position. With Andrew Norwell, yeah. I mean, is he satisfactory? Yes. Is is he serviceable? Absolutely. But you paid him to be one of the best guards in the NFL. He's making the money because he's supposed to be one of the best guards in the NFL. And the way I look at it from last season, Brent, I can wholeheartedly say I don't think Andrew Norwell this last season was even a top five left guard in the NFL. Now, maybe top 10, so be it. But guess what, man? The guy, I think, is the highest paid still left guard in the entire NFL, and he's not playing like it. So I think from that standpoint, when we want to talk about salary caps all the time and, you know, who do you pay? Do you pay him? Do you keep him? Do you let Calais go? Uh, Do you let Marcel Darius go? Do you let A.J. Boye go? All these questions get brought up. Well, when you point to some of the culprits, you point to Andrew Norrell and say, look at how much money he's making. Is he playing up to that contract? And right now, I don't think he is. That's yeah, a fair question. The unfortunate part about that is it's a lot like Foles, where you're kind of stuck with it for another year. Sure. Uh, the way that thing's structured, I think it's $9 million in dead money, so it really doesn't make a lot of sense to, to give way to that contract like it might to some of the others, and that's just the nature of the business sometimes, and that's why he also has to play well. Uh, you know, you need your big money guys to play like big money guys, and I would agree with you there. It felt like at times Norwell didn't, even if they want to tell me that he graded out okay. Uh, and, again, that's kind of in the uh, eye of the beholder, right? Uh, but these guys are making decisions with their jobs on the line, and they like this offensive line. That's the moral of this story. When I'm gonna, We're going to play a, a Doug Marone quote on the offensive line because it's important to see how he feels about it. He's the one riding with it. He's the one that's going to make a quarterback decision around what kind of offensive line he has. But I want you to think about, and on the other side of this, we'll talk about it. Jags have pick number 9 and pick number 20. There are some good offensive linemen in this draft that would be taken in that kind of area of the draft should the Jags be looking for one will the Jags be tempted to take one if one falls in their lap is it a good investment in 2020 for this franchise so think about that on the other side of what Doug Marone has to say when we talked to him earlier about the offensive line and it starts with his thoughts on Cam Robinson I'm excited about not just Cam, but really everyone on that line. You know, I think we have some, uh, you know, young guys in there that I think, or I think even, even a couple of, I think as a group, you know, I'm looking for that group to really step up. I think that they've, they've put in a lot of work. Um, they've been working hard. Uh, I'm sure in this off season, that's the type of people they are. For Cam, I'm really excited because, you know, you talk about a player that, you know, did a nice job for us his first year in his rookie year, but then had and gotten injured. And when he had gotten injured, he really didn't do anything until he came back, and then we had to get him ready to play. And I think that that's a difficult 
situation to, for anyone, for a coach, for the player, because you're trying to get them ready to play, and you lose sight of all these weeks of works where you create the foundation of your discipline and for your technique. So now Cam is, is, is healthy. So now I'm really excited to see where he's at. You know, he's been through all, you know, all this stuff. That, uh, I think early on he struggled a little bit but really came on at the end of the year. So um, now he's healthy. So, shoot, I'm excited to see how he comes back. That's Doug Marone earlier today on Cam Robinson and the rest of the offensive line. Once again, you can tell he's got an excitement level about him. Whether you think so or not, he does, and his job's on the line. Yours isn't. So uh, I find that part of this storyline and this offseason fascinating. But what it does is it opens up options at 9-20. and 20. If you went into or came out of last season and said, we need a left tackle, well, guess what? Listen to the Jags today. They ain't taking a left tackle in the first round. It's not happening. Doesn't look like it. They like what they've got. So what that opens them up to defensive line and linebackers and corners and all these other positions. And in my opinion, it eliminates a spot. We know they're not taking quarterback. And now you can pretty much say they're not taking offensive line. There's no tight ends to take in the first round. You can start looking at the positions and say, hey, I kind of know where the Jags are going. And it looks like they're going on the defensive side of the football, D-line linebacker, corner, somewhere in that realm, depending on who falls to him. But I think that draft starts to shape up a little bit with some of the comments, Austin, about that offensive line because that looked like a spot that might have holes to fill coming out of last season. Yeah, and listen, at the end of the day, you know, the 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 front office, the coaching staff, they can love the offensive line, and, and so be it. Great. That's fantastic. I'm just saying, though, I think it's important – as an organization, uh, it's important as a coach and developing that team and understanding exactly what the goals are, number one, and number two, what you have. Okay, like Leonard Fournette is a bell cow running back. Don't get me wrong. But he's not Saquon Barkley, okay? He's not Alvin Kamara, and he'd be the first one to tell you that. He's not going to be that guy that's going to make two or three guys miss out of the backfield. Now, sometimes he may lower his shoulder, fall forward, and be able to do that. But he's he's not like that elusive guy like Saquon Barkley is where even if it looks like he's dead to rights in the backfield, Saquon Barkley can bust one out for 99 yards, touchdown. It is what it is. From that perspective, you have to approach it like you do with Derrick Henry. You have to approach it like you do with Mark Ingram, where you have to get pushed. You have to go forward if you're on the offensive line. If you can give Leonard Fournette any kind of hole and any kind of space, then he does what he does best. And that's having very elusive speed that's really unassuming when he comes down the line and then the power to lower his shoulder and deliver the contact. That's what you have to have. To sit here and say, yeah, the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line, we like what we see going forward. That's great. And maybe on paper, you know what? They're not the worst offensive line in the league. And one could argue maybe they're a top 15 offensive line. It is what it is. But once again, you have to have them play to the best of their abilities, and you have to let them play to what you do well and what you need them to do. And what you need that offensive line to do, obviously, is block for Gardner Minshew or block for Nick Foles. But you have to get push up front to help out your running back situation. Yeah, and so obviously the running back works hand-in-hand hand with the offensive line. What I wonder a little bit is how much the quarterback decision will work with the strengths and weaknesses of this offensive line. And we brought it up, uh, I think, two segments ago where Dave Caldwell said, Gardner can do some things off schedule. That's a strength of his, and that's good for the offensive line. That's the way the NFL is going. And if the Jaguars want to play catch-up and go with the trends of the league, it's certainly 
fits this football team right now to have a guy like Gardner Minshew and his ability to move around more so than Nick Foles and to go along with an offensive line, let's just be honest, even if you like them, they still are not maybe the Colts offensive line or, or the Cowboys offensive line and just going to maul people. That is not the case, So or even San Francisco uh, for that matter. But I think that's why all these things... It gives you a little breathing room in the draft, gives you different ways to go, but it also, from your quarterback decision standpoint, certainly, in my opinion, the writing is on the wall for Gardner Minshew to be the guy. And I think the offensive line, Austin, may have a pretty decent say in which way they go in that QB spot. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think if I'm an offensive lineman right now, obviously I'm probably pushing more towards Gardner Minshew just because he is more of the mobile guy. And to me, it's a little funny, right? Because if you remember Nick Foles back in 2017 in the Super Bowl, go back and watch his performance in the Super Bowl. That guy was running around. That guy was creating plays with his legs. And for whatever reason, you know, he got to Jacksonville, and I don't know if it's because he got hurt and he maybe was a little gun shy when he came back, um, wasn't 100% healthy, whatever the reason was, but you didn't see that mobility that you saw in Philadelphia. Now, maybe Nick Foles comes out this year and, you know, all of a sudden we see the old school Nick Foles, the, the 2017 Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles, where he is running around a little bit and creating those plays. But I'm just saying from, from what I saw this past season, Brent, and I get it, small sample size, but if I'm an offensive lineman right now, I'm obviously pushing for Minshew because he can extend the plays and he can kind of maybe save my butt a little bit if I do let a guy go past me. At least Gardner Minshew can see that coming, get open, and still make a play. Hey, one thing I will say this about Cam Robinson. I like if I'm a guy, if I'm like Doug Marone and I have my jobs on the line this year, it feels like your jobs on the line every year, but it, we know it is this year. So, uh, well, we thought it was last year. <laughs> yeah. But but if I know it is. I like guys that are coming into my football team and on my roster that have something to play for even more than the team. And what I mean by that is guys that are in their contract year. And so Cam Robinson will be coming up on that. He'll have a chip. He'll he'll be healthy. He'll have all these things that they said. He'll be able to do the offseason and get a foundation and the fundamentals and the discipline of the position that maybe he didn't have the chance to while he was recuperating from injury last year, but also have a chip on his shoulder. He knows this is a big moment. It's a big year about his future, about millions and millions and millions and millions of more dollars. So I like that. I like when players are on edge. I think if you go back to 2017, a lot of that team was on edge. They had something to prove. And I thought that was a good situation to be in. If I'm the head coach of the team, I like that. The more guys I can find like that, uh, Leonard Fournette will be in that situation. That's a good thing. He'll be motivated. He should be motivated. Uh, for reasons outside of me just motivating him or or just wanting to win. So uh, I think there's a lot to like in, in that regard. Uh, one thing about the offense, some comments on it, Michael Mann says, Mitch, you makes the OL look better. would be wonderful to see him performing behind a good offensive line. Uh, and to Austin's point, even about Nick Foles, I mean, listen, people operate better behind good offensive lines. There was a better offensive line in Philadelphia, even though you're right, it did look like he was more mobile in Philly than he was at least comfortable being mobile. Uh, last year because he looked way more like a statue. BC says Leonard Fournette has 1,500 yards rushing with an average O-line. I think that's a fair point. Tim says the Jaguars' O-line issues were penalties. A lot they had to do with a moving uh, QB holding on to the ball. Their O-line isn't as bad as people think. Their O-line played better than the D-line. Interesting. They ran better and allowed less sacks than average. D-line can't stop the run. That's an interesting take because you would think the strong point of the football team is on the defensive front. 
Well, last year they stayed healthy, and you could argue they might have been more productive on the offensive side of the football in the trenches. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, and listen, you could go either way with it. I would argue, though, if you really buy into the pro football focus analytics, you know, that they're saying that Calais Campbell was the best three technique against the run last year. I mean, I don't know. Okay. And for the Jaguars to surrender back-to-back-to-back 200-yard games on the ground, I I would say, obviously, that was definitely a liability for him. So, I mean, listen, to me, it's not a competition. I think the offensive line at times were bad, and obviously the defensive line, especially in the run game, were horrible as well. And that's kind of the point, I think, of of this whole conversation here, Brent. Like, as far as getting after the quarterback, yeah, Yannick Ngakwe pretty much did his thing, you know. Um, Josh Allen obviously shown that he's got a bright future of getting after the quarterback. You know, Clayus Campbell had some sacks as well. Uh, Dwayne Smoot came out of nowhere and had a couple sacks himself. So from the standpoint of getting him in third and long, rushing the quarterback, well, they had the blitz to do it. They didn't do a lot of four-man rushes, but when they did the five-man rushes and the blitzing, it worked out well for them. But the whole point is being able to run the football and stop the run. And once again, I understand Leonard Fournette was seventh in the NFL in rushing. Fantastic. And keep in mind, he didn't play the last game of the season either. So those numbers are a little skewed. But at the same time, I remember too many times I saw Leonard Fournette get tackled in the backfield. I remember too many times watching Gardner Minshew hand the ball off and Leonard Fournette's already getting hit. And I think if you look at, you know, the the ability to run the ball and the ability to stop the run on defense, it's all about attitude and it's all about coaching. And I think you can make cases for both sides of the ball, whether it's running the football or stopping the run, the Jaguars were not that good at this this year. So once again, you can, you can have these guys on paper, your Calais Campbells, your Josh Allens, your Johnny Kingakwes. You can have these guys on paper on offense, whether it's Brandon Linder, Andrew Norwell, uh, Juwan Taylor. You can have all those guys. But if they're not playing with their identity and kind of that, you know, kind of that push up front, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, you have all the, you have all the talent in the world, but if you can't get a single yard on a fourth and one, I can't buy into you, man. So I think from both sides of the ball, not being able to win in the trenches in the run game, it's definitely a liability for the Jaguars going forward until they fix it. Hey, quick question here. Uh, what do you think their identity will want to be in 2020? I know it's very early, but if, if you could design it, because we talked about last year, they didn't have one. So uh, is it, I mean, is it Gardner Minshew? I mean, does he become their identity? Uh, is, is it, Let's be physical and, and win the trenches. Listen, what, you, what yeah. would you preach? Is, I, I understand you're a big run the ball, stop the run guy. I am. But, but based the way this, you can't do that if you don't have the horses to do that. Or if okay. you're not confident. In doing For sure. But, but so, to, yeah, but uh, to, to be fair though, Brent, you can't be a pass happy team if you don't have a tight end or a change of pace back either. You know, so depending on the tight end situation this year, whether you get an Austin Hooper, a Hunter Henry, we'll see. But, with the way the roster sits right now and for what the Jaguars have, I still say they're going to be a run first team, pass second, you know, and set up the play action. Um, I know it's not the most exciting brand of football out there, and I, I get Gardner Minshew's, you know, he's definitely surging into this season. But to me, Leonard Fournette, if he has the blocking in front of him, can be a very dangerous back. But you have to understand what you have with Fournette. Like, like I said before, he's not Saquon Barkley. He's not a guy that's going to dance in the backfield and make guys miss. He's got to hit guys going forward. If you can't do that, then you don't have an identity. But I still think with Doug Marone, two at the helm, the Jaguars will still try to play that smash mouth style football and then counter with Garner Minshew in the pass game. Let me ask you, and, and that's a fair question, what they have. But what you can build, you have nine draft picks, you have some money in free agency, you can still make some moves. 
how would you frame it? And I'm putting you on the spot here, so it's not like we're building this thing from scratch. But you know what the Jags are. You know what they have been. And you know what you kind of want to do and can do. It just takes a couple moves here and there to make you that. Yeah. I mean, it is. do you still want to be that? Is that your most effective way to be? Uh, so my point is, okay, you can be the play action, pound the, the ball, be that tough nose football team that they were in 2017 that they probably wanted to be in 18, 19 and just didn't pan out. Or do you become this Gruden Minshew mix of we're going to be fun as hell? <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, and and you go get the tight ends. You trade for tight ends. You you free agency get tight ends. You draft tight ends. You get another receiver. You you get that that uh, change of pace back. I mean, if you could have your pick, the way they're constructed, plus what you have in front of you the next two months. Yeah. Which way would you take it? Uh, obviously, it's hard to predict, Brent, because we don't know who's going to be signed again. We don't know if Clayus Campbell's coming back, Yannick Ngakwe is coming. We don't know all these answers. But, but you get to make those moves, yeah. my point. So, okay. So, from that standpoint, let's go ahead and take an internal look at ourselves right now on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number one question with Gruden coming in is, can you put up 27 to 30 points a game with what you have right now on a team? All right, now take the tight ends out of it and take, I'm just saying, for what you have right now, can you put up 27 to 30 points? And I would probably answer that with a a wholeheartedly no, okay? So from the way I look at it right now, and even if you do bring in Austin Hooper or you bring in a Hunter Henry, we'll see how that pans out. But right now, the way the Jaguars sit with their offensive line, with their tight end situation, with their wide receivers, yes, DJ Chark was the guy. Can D.D. Westbrook make a step going forward? Chris Conley, you know what you get with him? Can the Jaguars put up 27, 30 points a game? And I don't think so. So then you have to ask yourself, well, if you can't do that, then what do you have to do? And to answer that question, I think you have to run the ball and being able to get the other offense, your opposing offense, off the field. That's with a solid defense. So if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, and once again, I'm kind of put on the spot right now, but if I had it my way, I would try to secure as much of the defensive line as possible. Now, Marcel Darius, probably going to be a casualty of the war. And we, we thank him for his service, but unfortunately, we can't afford to keep everybody, so Darius is gone. I'm going to try my due diligence to keep A.J. Boye. Obviously, Yannick Ngakwe, I'm franchise tagging him, and it is what it is from that standpoint. And then if Calais Campbell is willing to take that pay cut, then I'm going to bring him back as well. Now, assuming Calais Campbell, and you know he has every single right to want the money that he, he's owed, then so be it. Clayus Campbell, thanks for the memories, but we've got to let you go. And then that's when I focus on re-upping in the draft, you know, especially that first pick, Derek Brown, possibly, maybe Kinlaw if he's there. But I'm building in the trenches, Brent, and, and I'm building on the defensive side of the ball. And my goal is going to be the same goal that it should have been last year, where I'm going to run the ball, I'm going to pass when I have to, and I'm going to try to play solid defense. Here's the deal. I feel like I've seen that movie, or at least the attempt of that movie, or the trailer to that movie, for every year I've been in Jacksonville. I feel like that's what they've wanted to be. And in 17, it worked. In 2010, your rookie season, it worked to a degree as well. And it's not like, hey, the NFL's changed, so catch up. I think it's more, let's see what we have in this kid in Gardner Mitchell, but let's surround him with things that will make him successful. Let's also start putting our dollars toward the other side of the football. And like you said, draft and go young on defense with still a couple of good players, like really good players. Potentially Calais stays, I would say, and and Miles, uh, you hope that he bounces back. Yannick Ngakwe is still here for at least this year under the franchise tag. That's what I've got to assume. So 
you have at least a defense that you can at least have some confidence in, even if it's not dominant. But I'd almost like to see this whole shift, man. Go get the tight ends, whoever and however many it will be. Go get another weapon on the outside. Go get that change of pace back that you're talking about. Give Gardner Minshew the weapons to be as successful as he possibly can, but he can make no excuses because you said, I went and got this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, put him around it, and develop this this entertaining kind of offense. Let him be the personality of the football team. Don't hide that. Don't take that away with handoffs and potential play actions. Embrace that instead. And I think I would lean toward that. And I think the Jags right now are at a crossroads where they can decide which way they want to go based on the cuts they make and the investments they make over the next couple of months. But I would in 2020 right now, I think I would lean that way. Well, and let's be honest, Brent, in terms of identity of what Jay Gruden likes to do, man, that guy loves to throw the ball around. All right? And now, granted, maybe personnel had something to do with that. But of, of all the Redskins seasons that I watched with Drake Green at the helm, obviously tight end is a big spot, right? And and Jordan Reed, when he was healthy, he was that guy. Unfortunately, he had a lot of concussions, um, a lot of ankle issues. So, you know, their tight end spot was a little faulty just because you had Vernon Davis, who's on the back nine of his career, so they couldn't go in the tight end position. But you want to talk about it in terms of passing, spreading the ball around. I mean, to me, the Jaguars are built for that. Right, because I get it. DJ Chark, he's probably gonna be the, the number one receiver going forward, as he should be. He's he's, he, he's the Pro Bowler, okay. And depending on how Didi Westbrook can do, and obviously Chris Conley, I mean, those are three guys that they may not blow your socks off, but they're all dependable, you know. And then maybe you, you can sprinkle on maybe like a, a draft pick later on in the round or whatever, maybe more of a speedster guy, whatever it is. But my point is to prove to your point, Brent. Yes, Jay Gruden is kind of that pass happy first type of dude. And I think if you look at what you have in Jacksonville right now with the wide receiver position, he's definitely intrigued by it. And I think if you look at Leonard Fournette in the passing game, Gruden's definitely intrigued by it. The biggest question, though, and it's something that we echo to the cows come home, is the fact that can they get the tight end? Can they bring in that Hunter Henry? Can they bring in that Austin Hooper? Because you're not going to do it more than likely this year in the draft. We don't know what Josh Oliver's going to do, obviously, going forward. But you have to have the tight end in order to be that pass-first happy team. And if you can bring that guy in, then more power to you. But until that happens, Brent, I have a hard time believing that's the way the Jaguars are going to go. Yeah, we're going to uh, talk more tight ends tomorrow because I uh, asked the questions of Marone and Caldwell about it, but also Austin Hooper. Bra- uh, Brace. Did I just say the Atlanta Brace? The Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> he are going to make... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are going to make him uh, uh, available, it looks like. So yeah. he will be a free agent and be a target, potentially, the Jaguars uh, could chase. One other note I thought was interesting, and maybe right, the DJ Chark kind of year, uh, the second year, whoa, where did that come from? Sure. They are relying and banking on and hoping and fingers crossed that Josh Oliver has that kind of year. Well, maybe even a Quincy Williams yeah. has that kind of year. And if they can get that, well, that changes everything, especially on the offensive side with Oliver. Here's the one thing, though, Brent, about that. And, and I always say it. You, you make your most strides from your first year going into your second year. The problem with Josh Oliver, though, and I get it, injuries happen, man. But the problem with Josh Oliver is the fact that he didn't really get any playing time this past season, right? He didn't really get a lot of practice time because he was always hurt. So essentially, in my eyes, yes, he's acclimated himself to how the NFL works in terms of meetings and things like that. But in terms of on the field, to me, he's still a rookie. All right, uh, we come back. Some of your thoughts on social media about these topics that we've been talking about. Also, isn't it nice that uh, Seminoles fans finally realize they have a basketball team in Tallahassee? <laughs> we'll get to that.
Yes, they do play basketball in Tallahassee. Everybody is just learning this now. We'll talk about it on ESPN 690 when we come back. It's been really good, and I've always encouraged. Like, I was joking. Was before I drive the car off the cliff, somebody told me to hit the brakes. So <laughs> Doug's really good at that, and uh, he's really good at being like, I want to do that, I want to do that, So or, or things he, feel good, he feels good about. So um, I encourage different opinions, and um, I think that's what Doug's been really good at the last uh, couple months with us. That's a question we asked Dave Caldwell about Doug Marone's role now and maybe more heavily involved in the personnel. Remember, last few years with Tom Coughlin and Dave Caldwell doing their thing, Doug Marone basically said, hey, not my job. (laughs) That's what he said publicly. I think he was more involved than he wanted to let on, but that's what he said publicly. Well, not anymore. Now he is heavily involved in the entire building. He had some interesting thoughts on that. We'll get to that part of it probably tomorrow. Uh, And by the way, Dave Caldwell might have just opened himself up for well, somebody to jump all over him before he drives this car off the. <laughs> I just some uh, people would say <laughs> it's been. Done. I just I just picture Dave Caldwell <laughs> rocking, you know, like that little thing that goes like, like a handkerchief that goes around your waist, like a Thelma and Louise, and I just picture him and uh, you know Doug holding hands as we get to the 2020 season, and you know they they just go for it, Brent, and you don't really we don't have it at the end of the movie like in Thelma and Louise, but you hope it works out for everybody. All right, hey, I got a lot of things I want to get to, including we asked, what question would you ask, you know, some of these draft hopefuls? And maybe something going forward. I was thinking of this when I asked about the identity. We need to set, like, the brand for the Jags of 2020. You know? Everybody got, has a brand. Everybody's got a slogan. Sure. We should do, like, a contest. Like, what would for, it be? For, for the, I mean, could it be kind of like we have it, like Jacksonville Jaguars, we're just trying not to screw up, or just like ESPN yeah. 690? <laughs> we're just trying to make it. We're just trying to make it. <laughs> ESPN 690 slogan. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The Jags have adopted the ESPN 690 slogan. We're just trying to make it. Can can you imagine going from like you know back when I played it was like Jacksonville Jaguars all in or stand united or Duval Jacksonville Jaguars 2020. We're just trying to make it. Can you imagine having to hashtag that on every post for social media? Uh, I feel like. I feel like we might have just thought of a good topic, though. I like, like we it. Got, like a contest. We got to, Can we give away a hat or something for a winner? Like We might want to do this. I like I'm it, man. to organize it tonight. I like we it. we got to check with Nick. got to run it by the bosses first. Oh, of course. Either way, we can, it can be a talking point. Absolutely. But we might need some time. We might need a little time to establish this. But we also got to beat them to the punch so maybe we can suggest it and they take it. Yeah. No, dude, I'm, remember, I'm like, all for it. All in was one of them. Like, remember uh, years ago at the start of the ownership, all in. Hey, Brett, uh, I mean, hey, who you tell him, man? I remember I've told the story where I was supposed to be in one of those commercials where where I was at the roulette, some mock roulette (laughs) table, and I'm wearing my Ray-Ban shades, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm Austin Lane. And I'm all in. And then, like, I throw my <laughs> chips in the middle. Like, thank God that didn't air, because I could only imagine the blowback that I would have got from doing that cheesy commercial. That's, That's probably the reason why it didn't go to TV. This is how I, I get so behind on the show. By the way, we we talk about this stuff. I got a lot. We got a lot to get to. Sure, let's last, get it. Like, let's get minutes. it. Come on. So uh, we got falling and falling. I want to talk a little FSU hoops, but I want. There's been some folks that have uh, interacted with us on social media about the topics we've been talking about with the Jags. The Jags-dominated show today. Yeah. Uh, George says, two entirely different quarterbacks. It'll be interesting to see what a comp between 15 and 7 will look like. Any pressure or just tossing balls through tires, meaning the competition? I think it will be a sincere competition. <laughs> uh, Real MBB, Matthew says, he shouldn't even be in the building come training camp. Find any trade you can. That was when I said, is it good for Doug Marone? If you were Doug Marone, would it be good to have Foles on the roster? 
Uh, McWhale says, for moral support, question mark? Nah, get him out of here. Uh, I don't think that would be why. Uh, Josh says, I like having a proven veteran QB. The salary is a problem, but I'd rather keep him and pay him than potentially give up draft capital to move him. If an opportunity comes later to actually get value back, then I take it. Listen, they're not going to give up a draft pick to move Foles. They just won't. Yeah. Uh, that That is not happening. Uh, let's see. Let me keep going here. Uh, First Coast Bubbler says, money always matters. I think that has to do with Jan. Uh, Stevie Sachs says, never a doubt. He will sign the franchise tag, gives up $19 million a season, uh, or ni- last season, which, by the way, again, it's not $19 million. That was put out there by the Jags, but he did not give that up. It was less than that. You really think he's going to miss out on another chance of that, though, even though it's a tag? Heck no. I'd bet anything on it. And, by the way, Stevie Sex likes to bet, so uh, maybe he would put something on it. All right. Oh, let me go uh, a couple more for you. I already gave you some of the offensive line ones. I just appreciate people jumping in the conversation, so I want to get them on. Casey says, here's the thing. Minshew gives you more options. The OL doesn't need as much upgrades with him as QB as it would with Foles. So from roster building, it makes more sense to go with him as starter. Uh, Adam says, team tag and trade for Yannick Ngakwe. And uh, we've got even more uh, coming through. I just tweeted this about the Yannick Ngakwe situation. And this is why we talk so much about it, because there's so many layers of it, Austin. This is my tweet, and I I couldn't fit it all in. I said, the Yannick situation is fascinating. Jags love him, but they didn't pay him. He doesn't want to be here now. Jags still love him. We'll franchise him because that's what's going to happen. Will he play on the franchise or not? That's the next layer. What would a trade return in terms of value once they do tag him because they could trade him? Will he ever sign a big deal with the Jags because you have to change his mind? He doesn't want to be here. So all of that, and I even thought of today, heck, if you tag him once and tag him again next year, you might still make out better if you're the Jags. If but, you look at $22 million a year over the next two years, that would be $44 million with a lot of guaranteed money. I know the tags are guaranteed, but it might still come out to less than $44 million. So but there are it, so many tentacles to this. Isn't it set up, though, where you can only franchise tag a guy once? No, you can do it twice. Oh, you can do it twice, though? Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you can do it twice. Well, uh, we'll see what the new CBA says. Yeah. You can do it twice, but it really escalates the dollars. Like, okay. it would jump from 17.5 or $18 million to maybe, like, $23 million. I, I don't even know what the number is, but it really escalates the dollars. Yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah. Okay. Fit of, uh, I got you. I would, we're getting some slogans in. Uh, uh, this Jacksonville Jaguars, comma, F it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I, can't, I wish we could say what we really want oh, to say. Oh, now I have to go online and check them out. I like it. <laughs> so we're getting some good ones there. But anyway, isn't the Jan, I mean, how fascinating of a scenario is this whole Yon situation? Yet we won't see it played out probably in the public realm. Yeah. And, and I think Caldwell and the Jags made that clear. And I'll go back to what I've said a couple times, going back to the Super Bowl, and I said earlier on the show, we talked to Maurice Jones-Drew, and he advised Yannick Ngakwe, don't play this out publicly. He said, don't do it. Now, that being said, Jan is the ultimate cryptic tweeter. So, sure. I mean, but, but, here's his tweets the last. Let's go. Let's get ready for some tweets. I mean, do we have some music? Coons, get the music ready. Let's go. I don't know when Coons, the last time nope. we did Jan okay. tweets. But five days ago, it was stay calm. Four days ago, it was treat your people right. Four days ago, it was everything in the dark comes to light. Mm. Three days ago, it was new views. Three days ago, it was a quote tweet with a checkered flag because somebody tweeted a video of him performing well. Two days ago, it was never force it. 
Two days ago, it was don't short yourself in life. Yesterday, it was driven. Uh, yesterday, it was also hating on the next man equals no blessings. Mm. Uh, Demetrius Harvey wrote an article and talked about the $22 million per year. Jan quote tweeted that, said God is gracious. Heck yeah, for $22 million he is. Uh, get yourself a hard worker with a picture of himself seven mm. hours ago. Interesting. And then he just uh, tweeted or retweeted another one. Alex Wilson said, 24 years old, Ngakwe is a great option. Never logged less than eight sacks, four or more forced fumbles in three or four seasons. This is a Giants guy tweeting this. And Yannick shows the checkered flag again. Mm. What is he going to wave the green flag? Mm. <laughs> What's well, that? Uh, listen. <laughs> Stewart says he's a Daytona fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. You know, and one we could say, well... Checkered flag, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Uh, know, I mean, come on. Good. I mean, yeah, we, we, we can go the day for day. Uh, first of all, Kuz nicely done with the music. Saw-ish. You know, like kind of like that jigsaw, let's play a game music. I, I, I appreciate that, Kuz. Let's be honest, though. And listen, I, I respect Maurice Jones-Drew with what he said, where the smart thing to do from Yannick Ngakwe is to not play this out in the media, you know, and is to do it behind closed doors and to handle your business that way. These cryptic tweets, man, they don't do much for me at all. We make fun of them. Um, some journalists and people want to roll with them. So be it. But let's be honest, Brent, and let's go back to 2019 real quick. Somebody leaks out that supposedly Yannick Ngakwe got offered $19 million. It wasn't Yannick Ngakwe's camp because we have a pretty good idea that that's not the case, right? Yeah. So why would his camp make up a, a BS number when it was never offered in the first place? might have leaked out $22 million. Yeah, but but yeah. I'm saying from last year, okay? Yeah, no, but, you're right. Yeah, exactly. So one would think then that the Jaguars organization said something behind Absolutely. that, right? Okay, Absolutely. so yeah. then let's keep going forward then. And again, Let, I will tell you this, it... I, I full-heartedly now believe it wasn't $19 million. Like, we kind of said it at the time, even though that was the report, and that's what the report wanted to be, because that's what the number they threw out there. Correct. But it wasn't that much. Okay, exactly. So then let's keep on going forward. Let's go to the Tom Coughlin press conference. He gets asked about Yannick Ngakwe. What does Tom Coughlin say? He still has a lot to prove in Yannick Ngakwe. Okay, well... Once again, that's not behind closed doors. That's you calling him out in front of the media. So for Yannick Ngakwe now to go into this off season, into the 2020 season, and for you to tell him, well, don't you know, keep it out of the media, keep keep it behind closed doors. Well, you know what? If Yannick Ngakwe does that, then more power to him, man. You're a fantastic individual, and I salute you. But I'm not going to be mad if you don't do that because the team that was trying to coax you into supposedly signing a deal was the team that was on the media saying how much supposedly your contract was worth. It was the team that was in the media at a press conference saying, you have to step your game up, you have to prove more. So from Yannick Ngakwe's perspective, man, I think you can do whatever you want to do, and that's just my opinion. Well, he's got to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> Jags have power here, too, and what he's got to decide if he wants to play or not. And uh, it ultimately could come to that. And I just wonder how ugly it will get. Will it get ugly? Will there be... Um, Kind of like a, a, a spin of sorts to say, hey, I want out of here. I'm going to be more vocal about I want out of here. I mean, instead of the hints, will it be I want out of here? Uh, simple as that. I mean, he can say that. And if that happens, that then goes into the Jalen Ramsey kind of realm, in my opinion, where the fans may even turn a little bit on Jan because they're like, hey, you don't, you don't want to be here. Screw you. You know? I mean, that's kind of what fans do. I mean, fans were on Jalen's side. And then the whole back thing happened, and that ballooned and escalated, and he was on his way out, and they turned on a dime. 
So I don't know. It won't be with that vitriol against uh, Jan. I think there's a lot of respect for Jan, and, and they're two different animals in that regard, uh, uh, you know, just the whole situations. But I do think you can lose favor with the fans in that regard. But, Brent, let's be honest, though. And, and listen, I'm not trying to call it fans or anything like that, but I'm just trying to tell it like it is right now. Do you think Jalen Ramsey is losing sleep at night because Jaguars fans don't like him? No. Do you think but, he, Okay. No, but my point in the fan part is it puts pressure on the organization. This isn't about the player. Oh, okay. This isn't about, hey, I want you to be my friend. Sure. This is about when 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 I talk to people in that building, they say they get phone calls about Jan all the time. Yeah. Are you going to sign him? Are you going to sign him? Well, that means people in this town want them to sign Jan. And... They want them to make that move, and if I'm a season ticket holder and you're not making the moves I want you to make, then I might not buy season tickets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's more pressure on the organization than it has anything to do with Yannick Ngakwe or, in your instance, Jalen Ramsey. Oh, I, I, that's a great, fantastic point. I, I thought, I, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about the player more than actually, like you know, the fans in the organization. But no, that's that's a solid point. And let's I mean, be I honest, think players would like to be liked too. Well, but. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it helps, right? But and, and to be fair too, I think with the fan base who for lack of a better word, whose voice you could argue has not been heard, you know, to, to the best of their abilities. Um, obviously, they're still rallying behind Jan to pay that guy. And once again, we'll see what happens down the line here. But I've been very adamant about this, and I'm going to keep on saying this. It's more than money. And I think the pride and loyalty thing that Yannick Ngakwe um, has fractured with this organization, I think, not sure if there's an amount of money that can fix that. I think it has to do more with, you know, just talking it out and hopefully hashing it and everything like that. But once again, I guess we'll see how this plays out. But I think there's a lot more to it than just Yannick Ngakwe wanting to be one of the highest paid defensive ends in all of football. I think you're right, but I think he's unique in that. I think nine out of ten players, it, it, you come back and say, hey, we'll give you $22 million a year. They'll be like, okay, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, no hard feelings. You know, I, well, I do think most players are like that, Austin. I'm but, not saying there aren't outliers, and, and I do believe Yannick might be an outlier here. But I do think money is the answer sometimes to repair a lot of those. But Brent, relationships. here's the thing though with Yannick Ngakwe, he knows what he's worth. He can play in Jacksonville. He can play in Washington. He can play in Oakland and New York. He's gonna get his money someplace, and he understands that. I'm pretty sure he should understand that. So if you know wherever you go, eventually you'll get what you're worth. Well, then why would why why would you want to stay at a spot that you don't want to be at? You know, I think that's what it is right now in Jacksonville, where he understands eventually he will get his money. It may not even be this year. There may be some stipulations, but eventually Yannick Ngakwe will get the money that he so you know that I think number one he deserves, but also that he's pursuing. And he understands that no matter where he goes, eventually he will get that money. So the question remains, if you're Yannick Ngakwe and you know you're going to get paid somewhere, then why would you want to stay in Jacksonville if you're not a fan of the spot? And that's yeah, why, I, why it's so important for the Jacksonville Jaguars to do everything in their, their power, number one, obviously, to pay the guy, but also to try to bury the hatchet, which Tom Coughlin, you know, obviously opened up a wound last year. Yeah, and I'm getting no indication, by the way, there's going to be an open checkbook for Yannick Ngakwe. And if that's what it takes, then they're not going to do it. 
Um, that that's just not the sense I get that this is going to be that kind of thing. Uh, even though they would like him, and they said all the glowing things that we shared during the show today about Yannick Ngakwe, I just don't think it's an open checkbook. Hey, shout out to a couple other folks on Facebook. Always watching H.J. Scott and also George Gardner. And by the way, I had to bring this in because they want a jersey, man. Where do you find an Austin Lane jersey? Can we still get one somewhere? Do we need Mark Buckley from Pocket Autographs? Maybe. Can I interest you in a nice Action Sports Jacks ESPN 690 T-shirt? Um, honestly, man, uh, I wish we'll I had a 92 on the back of it. I know, right? Uh, I wish I had a great answer for you, dude. Um, unfortunately, like the jerseys that I do have, they're all kind of run out to family members, and I'm, I'm saving one for my son when he gets older. Obviously, he can have it. So, if I had one to give out, I would, I totally would. Um, I would probably say your best bet would be go to. Go to a Jaguars game, and usually they sell like the old merchandise there. I know a couple of my jerseys in the past have sold for like fifty bucks or something like that. Not too shabby. So um, maybe head there to a Jaguars game and check it out one time. But unfortunately, I don't have to tell you, dude. I'm sorry. I'll get to the bottom of it. All hey, right, dudes, man. Let's not go to break right quick. I want to do bow on the phone real quick. I got to get this in. My ball's got to be Florida State. Florida State fans know they they now have a basketball team. Yeah. The place was rocking last night, man. National folks all over the country saying if Florida State plays like that. They could win the whole thing. It's just remarkable to see where they've come for, to and from uh, their basketball program. Nobody's been talking about their basketball program forever, even though they've been pretty good the last even three or four years. Nice run last year in the tournament, and now this. Top six team in the country. They're undefeated at home. The place was absolutely bonkers last night. And when they play well, that's the storyline coming out of here. If they play their game, they're as good as anybody in the country. Florida State basketball, I think there are Florida State Seminoles fans finding out that they finally have a basketball team. I think that's a cool thing. And Leonard Hamilton, wow, people wanted him out, and now he's, uh, well, king of the hill in Tallahassee. Uh, that's my balling for sure. I like it, man. My balling is going out to Mason Saunders, or should I call him Madison Bumgardner? So, oh, that's cool. dude, Madison Bumgardner has developed, I guess, a secret identity um, named Mason Saunders, who literally competed professionally as a rodeo competitor. Now, I don't think he was riding bulls necessarily, but we're talking calf roping. Um, we're talking, I think, steer wrestling. Like, this is something that Madison Bumgarner has been doing now for the past couple of years that nobody knew about until somebody outed him. But, yes, Madison Bumgarner, you know, the pitcher of the, of the Giants, when he's not playing baseball, is also a professional rodeo competitor. And, dude, that is balling. That is uh, absolutely balling. All right, uh, real quick following is these smoke screens here at the Combine. Come on now. We talked about what Jason Fitz earlier. <laughs> How can you commit to Daniel Jones, right? I mean, it, do you really think somebody's biting on that, that you might go after Tua? Giants have no interest in Tua. Let's yeah. let's not be – there are silly smoke screens, yeah. and that's a silly one. I know you want value for that pick, and they'd love to get out of there if they could, and they get a lot in return. Ain't happening. Uh, you ain't fooling anybody. New York Giants. Fallen, and I hate to put him in this category, man, but Dante Wilder for blaming – his Black History Month suit that weighed, an, you know, an estimated 40 pounds um, was the reason why he lost the fight to Tyson Fury. He claims that when he was wearing the suit, he was walking to the ring, it drained the energy from his legs, and that's why he appeared to kind of be out of it even when the first round went off. Um, Deontay Wilder has signed his clause to fight Tyson Fury again, so they're going to do it for a third time. Um, but, and listen, far be it for me to tell, uh, you know, 
a former champion of the world how he how he should or should not act. But I just feel like if you make up the excuses of yes, it was my outfit, and you don't address the problem of you have to have a better thing than just one right hand. You have to increase your skills a little bit. Then you're not going to beat Tyson Fury for the third time. So falling is just the excuses uh, for losing a fight. Yeah, and listen, I don't disagree with you for that excuse, but I also, I have to be honest, when I was watching that entrance, I was like, gosh, he looks drained already. Yeah. Like, I don't understand these elaborate entrances when you got to go box for 12 rounds. Well, and, and props to Tyson Fury, by the way, for being yeah, carried on in. a chariot. Oh, yeah, that's the way to do it, man. You know, he had, like, four females, like, push her. Like, that was cool. Um, you know what, Brent? And, and listen, I, I got this question, actually, on social media, too. Somebody asked me, like, what's up with these stupid, you know, these annoying entrances? Oh, I think I, people like them well, more than they hate and, them. And I put it to you like this, man. And I talked about it yesterday a little bit. The, the sport of boxing is so fickle, where you only get so many go-arounds. It's not like MMA, where if you're a big star, there's fight after fight after fight. As soon as you lose a little bit, man, the stigma, um, you know, the, the the shine, it falls off you a little bit. So from that perspective, you might as well get the money while you can. And if you're you know watching one of the biggest shows ever, you might as well make it worth it with those entrances. So. All right, Kuz is going to kill me. we got to get out of here. We're way late. Uh, that's uh, day one for us from the NFL Combine. We'll be back tomorrow with more talk. And discussion. We'll also, uh, we never got to the questions, but we have plenty of time to do that tomorrow. Plus, think while you're sleeping tonight, brands for the Jags in 2020. We've already got some in, but if we're going to make this really work, we got to be careful with the cuss words, okay? <laughs> we'll think about that. For Austin Lane back in Jacksonville and Coos, for Stuart Weber here in Indianapolis, I'm Brent Martineau. We'll see you on TV tonight. we got team coverage from the NFL Combine on CBS 47 and Fox 30. Thanks for listening. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. The Players' Championship is almost here. Everybody, this is Brent Martineau. Do you have your tickets yet? Win a couple of weekly Captain's Club tickets and a shopping spree in the new PGA Tour fan shop with me. Yeah, I'll dress you for the players. Enter to win right now on the contest page on ESPN690.com. Win tickets to the Players' Championship and a shopping spree at the Players' Championship from ESPN 690. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.